Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! So, Roger, I am curious if you had any time to practice your uh, Anna Ferris voice anymore since we recorded last week. Let me give it a shot because it's something I've been doing to myself a lot after watching that movie. <laughs> I've been finding myself talking to myself in the voice of Anna Ferris. So let me just give it a give it a go. Oh my God, you guys! I think we should watch this movie and then talk about it and try giving it a review afterwards. Does that sound anything like Anna Ferris, or does it just sound? (laughs) No, you sound constipated. I know. I'm trying. (laughs) I'm really trying. Oh wow! (laughs) That's all I can do is her. Oh wow! Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're you're almost there. Almost. It needs a few more (laughs) weeks of spit and polish. But yeah, I think you need to watch May a few more times. No, so you know what's you, you know what's funny is you have a I think you have a new like female lead character's voice that you can try to emulate after watching this week's movie. <laughs> you got like ten of them for one character. <laughs> we got ten of them for one character, and it is the lovely Natasha Leone. I love from, her. Yeah, Orange is the New Black, and uh, but I'm a cheerleader. Oh my God. And Russian Bride. What is it? Russian Bride? Is that what it's called? Russian Doll. She's in the TV show Russian Doll. Russian Doll. If you haven't watched Russian Doll, watch it, my lord. But not Natasha Leone, like, she goes back. She goes back. She's one of those faces that, like, you just looked back to all these iconic films and she just kind of popped up. American Pie. She had that, like, supporting role in American Pie as the girl that knew everything. Like, she's always been around as long as I've been consuming pop culture. Uh, Slums of Beverly Hills. You know, like, She's just iconic, and she's also been through shit, and she's open about it, and she talks about it, I love it, and I think this movie maybe was around the time that she was, like, coming out of a harsh, like, a rough place in her life. I'm really thinking that may be the case because my, her talent has evolved since this film, but that's not to say that she shouldn't be respected for being in this film. So let's get right to it because we have a we had last year last year last it felt feels like last year last week we had a lovely guest Caitlin Newberry and we discussed to death the uh, indie film May if you haven't listened to that episode give it a listen over two hours of us three old hands just chatting about May Th- this week we have a equally equally beautiful talented just all around. I mean, what what are the words we can use to describe him, Roger? A uh, soft, supple, and a feminine. <laughs> Those are words to describe Caitlin Newbury. But our guest this week is somebody who is coming at this from a completely different angle. She was an actress, and this is somebody who is someone who is, consumes the product. This is a horror fan attic fanatic. This is a lover of cinema and someone who's very knowledgeable about what it is we're viewing. So I'm so excited about to talk about it with him. 
And it is the one and only Patrick Walsh from the Scream Queens podcast. Yay! Yay! Why, Troy and Roger, as I live and breathe, how are you? And you! Look at you! Yeah, we're basking in your glow. Oh, hush now, hush now. It's all moisturizer. That's what it's all about. Flawless. Delighted to be here. Although, although I gotta say, I gotta say... Yeah, you know, it's the dark night of the podcast. I was promised in my contract a dark room. You know, a, a dark room. Weren't, weren't we all? But you know what? <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> and I don't mean I don't mean to develop photographs. I do not mean to develop photographs. I mean like an old school, like the lure eagle spike kind of dark room. Unless that's after the show. Stick around. I mean, maybe warm we up that a- pussy, Roger. <laughs> it's warm. Uh, <laughs> it's lukewarm. <laughs> um, but <laughs> now, correct me because I'm literally I'm not like sitting here with your like social media open. I'm going off of what I know of you because we've done a few things on your channel before, and it's always been a great experience. And now we're so happy to have you over here. But you're in New York, correct? Are you in New York? Yeah, I'm right here in New York City. Fucking a. Yeah, that's why I thought. That's why I thought because even though I know you're from New York, but this movie is set in San Francisco and oh lord does it feel San Francisco and for it kept making me think for some reason you're from San Francisco but you're not you're from New York I'm not I'm from no no technically I'm from Long Island which is even worse you know where the, on a clear day you can see the Butterfucos and Amityville is right in your backyard and shit and like Debbie Gibson is your best friend and everything it's totally totally how I grew up Ooh Debbie Gibson follows me on Instagram I went to my prom with Debbie Gibson she was in my prom limo that's how fucking old I am Oh jeez Really was she really Is that a true statement That's a true statement Oh my God! I'm so happy we have you on this. Episode. We'll tell stories after. Oh, we'll tell stories oh out of school, shall we? Because I got lots of them about this. Oh Nick. girl! Oh, I can't wait. I, and so I was very happy when Troy approached me to, to come on the show, and then he let me. Actually, I was technically no, that's a lie. I was pissed when he made me pick the movie. I'm like, I pick the movie every goddamn week on my own show. It's supposed to be guest It's supposed to be a vacation. But I said, you know what? For these two guys, I got the perfect film because it's all about how making movies is murder. <laughs> You couldn't have picked a better You could title. not have. And that is why I let you. You know, generally, and this is true, generally me and Roger, even when we have guests on, we still pick the films. But I know that you have. You fucking, you fucking dick. I know. <laughs> We're like, man, you can't fucking do the extra I'm work. Sending, I'm sending you a bill. Oh, my goodness. He's charming. You'll love him. Oh, you're going to love Bill. My first name's William, so it'll be kind of weird. <laughs> But the reason I did it is because I know you have such a, a massive knowledge of horror films and and you really, like me, uh, like a lot of the obscure stuff or stuff that's not readily watchable or that, you know, the masses haven't flocked to. Uh, so if you like, if you like, look at my choices of films that we've done on uh, Dark Knight of the podcast, I would say probably 90% of them Roger has not seen, <laughs> which is a big, like, shock. Well, she's only a soft 17-year-old yeah, she's, she's still finding <laughs> her way in the Ample. world. <laughs> Not a wrinkle to be seen, I'm sure. <laughs> Beg to differ. Based on our conversation earlier, there's a big one. <laughs> oh, Lord, this is going to be a it's good It's going to be three hours long. You guys, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> Continue, Troy. Go back, Troy. I didn't mean to step on you. That's why I let you pick the film. There you go. And it is the film. It is a film from 2000 and 2010. That unfortunately, probably many of our listeners have not seen yet, because technically it's not available. Out of print, criminally. It's out of print. Criminally. Criminally. <laughs> it is a little film called All About Evil, uh, directed by... Joshua Grinnell. Better known as... A.K.A. 
Peaches Christ. Peaches Christ, the one and only. With a cast that just blows my mind in terms of how this film never got picked up. We have, of course, we have Natasha Leone. But not only that, we have Mink Stoll. We have Elvira, Cassandra Peterson. Oh, my God. Mind-blowing. The fact that she's in this, mind-blowing. We have baby Thomas Decker. This come on. This film, the fact that this, the fact that this film, even with having not been picked up or being out of print or what have you, the fact that I had never like heard this title at all after watching it boggles my mind. I never, I never seen it. I never heard it. Honestly, for the first few minutes up until the credits, I kind of thought that this movie was shot in the eighties. <laughs> like I literally, I thought it was like an older film I had just never seen before, and then the credits started rolling. One of the things I love about this movie is that it's like John Waters made a horror movie. Yes. It's got a major John yes. Waters vibe running through it. Ugh. And one of, the, one of the reasons I picked it, and I think it's fun that we're – and I did it unintentionally. And also well, the day that we're recording. Today, when we're recording, is Monday, July 26th. And it turns out today, July 26th, is – the 11th anniversary of me starting Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. And that's Scream Queens with a Z. Stop. There's several, there's several podcasts out there called Scream Queens. I'm the one that it's one word and it's a Z. They'll have links. But anyway, not the point right now. But this Stop. movie. No, it is the point. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Continue. But this movie. One of the this original. Movie, this movie was in. Without this movie, there would be no podcast. Because it's a story. What? Oh, my. Full circle. Here's the thing. Back in the day. Back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the earth and computers were made out of wood and there was nobody but me and Harvey Feierstein and a brontosaurus even thinking about podcasting, I had the idea about doing a horror podcast, but from a gay perspective, and I shopped it around forever, and people looked at me like my head fell off. There was no queer horror. There was no through a gay lens or any of that. I mean, it might have been out there in... in um. Um, in the academic world, but in podcasting, no, nothing. So I put, I talked about it for so long that my partner at the time just bought me a bunch of equipment. He was a tech nerd, bought me all the equipment, set up everything. It was like, happy birthday. <laughs> Here's your podcast. In other words, shut up and do it. Cause he was from the South. I put out one episode and it sat there forever. It's just like, this is what I plan on doing. And I'm, this, this is going to be my show. And I hope you like it. And I hope you listen. Okay. Bye. And then I didn't do anything for six weeks. And I happened to stumble across one of the, uh, the fag rags. Sorry, the queer magazines that you pick up at bars that this particular night, this All About Evil was coming and somebody named Peaches Christ was coming in from San Francisco and there was going to be a whole um, party beforehand, this whole ex- the Peaches Christ experience beforehand. We we're supposed to wear our horror couture to come and I'm saying, this sounds like fun. And I went and I said, oh, there is an audience for this. They're all right here. And I went forward. This first show was about this movie, and it's all full circle. Full circle with you tonight. Full circle with the one. That's a song from 1984 that nobody remembers but me. Anyway, I'm back now. Hello, and that's my story. And a big gay circle that is. That's so. No, that's awesome. That's like what I mean. I had no idea. I don't know if it was strategically planned that way, Troy. You handled uh, setting this episode up, and I mean. I've literally just, it was just meant to be, I look for these moments in life, you know? It's like synchronicity. It's all fucking coming together. This was meant to be. It's the universe saying, get it, girl. Yeah, it's the universe saying, this was meant to be. And what what better uh, way to celebrate your podcast, which has been around for longer than any I can think of. I mean, honestly, and when you had me on yours, honestly, that was a big aspect of introducing me to queer 
horror podcast in general. So thank you for that. So I think it's worth celebrating that. That's great. Not to knock you fabulous queens, but the gay heart, the queer heart podcast, they're dime a dozen now. They're everywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we know but it. Apparently, I was the first. Not to toot my own horn, but apparently, I was the first. Like, I just had, I had a woman from Yale come and do her doctorate on me and the show. I was like, what? What? I, would, I talked to her for like six weeks. It was, it's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, so there was none of this then. And this movie came out the same year. So we just, we, we shared the same experience, except I've had a run and this movie's at print. <laughs> so I survived this movie. I outlived this film. Yeah, yeah, that is amazing that that's, I mean, it just happens to fall like this full circle. But um, yeah, and you are right, gay, they are now gay horror podcasts are a dime a dozen. There are many of them out there for, you know, listeners to choose from, which I guess is a good thing. Absolutely a good yeah, thing. Absolutely yeah. a good thing. Oh, yeah. We are a year into this one, so um, we, and we plan on sticking with it for, for the long haul. Some of them, you know, come out and have a couple episodes. You don't hear from them again. Some of them are doing pretty damn well. You never know. You never know. You never know. And, we, and that's the one thing me and Roger talk about all the time is that we know that there are a plethora of gay-themed horror podcasts out there now. So the, the films that we pick, we always try to pick stuff that other podcasts have not covered or, you know, haven't been covered to death. So exactly, because what's the point? Why yeah. you're just regurgitating with yeah, everybody else? Exactly. exactly. That's what I've always been done with my show. I'm always looking for the next new thing, like that something that that hasn't been found yet. And that's why this one it fits perfectly, because I guarantee you, not another gay besides you is probably going to cover this because it's not readily available. But because you know you're on, we we were able to see this film, and what a film this was! I was just mesmerized. Ooh mesmerized by this film from a filmmaker uh, from a filmmaker perspective from a horror fan perspective from a gore you know gore lover perspective from an 80s slasher perspective i just got a huge kick out of and this from film. a movie lover perspective it's a movie for people who love movies yeah. So. <laughs> yeah it just happens to be a horror film and let me tell you let's just get right into it because the opening scene i i was like totally uh, I've seen a lot of what the fuck moments in film and this could have been in pink flamingos could have been. in. Pink I flamingos. did not expect the whole <laughs> what happened in this to happen. I mean, you're introduced to a little girl named Debbie Deborah as, as, but as the film goes on, Deborah, Deborah tennis. Yes. Deborah. Deborah. That's later. Hard or right now, but right now, (laughs) no, right now she's just little Debbie and she's dressed as Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. And apparently her father owns this. Her father does own this theater called the Victoria Theater and he does kitty matinee nights. So she is going to perform a song and song number for the audience at this kitty matinee night. In the meantime, her dad is like this sweet, supportive, just the lovely father, like the quintessential perfect father that you would expect the mother, on the other hand, is a total cunt. And she is wearing a Wicked Witch of the West costume, which could not fit. If you didn't get that she was evil. <laughs> this mother is horrific. I have never seen a more horrible mother in film. Like, this makes Joan Crawford and Mommy Dearest look like, I mean, it's ridiculous. I have the exact same note. Like, literally, like, how dare you steal that line from me, Troy? I'm so <laughs> mad. I'm so mad. I, my note was, my, my note was, Faye Dunaway who? <laughs> because, like, this dame is just, every line is just pouring from her lips. She's doing jazz hands. She's just 
taking it to the top with everything she says. But a few things to take away from this opening. Uh, the Wizard of Oz is my favorite movie of all time, next to Night of the Living Dead. So um, to start a movie off on a note that is Wizard of Oz themed, and, and, and like, get me at this screening, because it looks like a good fucking time. There's balloons, there's garland, there's a, a musical performance. I really thought she was going to start singing Over the Rainbow, and I was going to be like, how did they get those rights? However, she sings a horrible number that somebody wrote for her, um, which is coming up here in a second. And it's very lackluster. It ain't no Judy Garland. But still, it really drew me in right away. This sequence, phenomenal. And what makes it even better is that all the kids in the audience already pre-hate her. Oh, yeah. You can tell that these are all the kids that pick her on her at school. Like, she's not on stage for five seconds. And that little brat's like, oh, look, everybody. It's Debbie Penis. <laughs> Debbie Penis. Debbie Penis. <laughs> and they just, they're just they already laughing. And she hasn't done a damn thing, this poor kid. And the mother is like, you're going to suck. Oh, my. The mother wants to leave. The mother's like, you're going to suck anyway. I just want to get the hell out of here. Yeah, I've never seen a parental figure <laughs> in a movie just hate a child so openly. For no apparent reason. Take de- and take delight in their what, suffering. Yes, I mean, <laughs> because what happens, guys? What happens during the the little girl? The little girl. First of all, I we have to be honest. She's she's awful. She's horrible. Terrible. She's terrible. Oh no, no, she's awful. She's flat out wretched. We would all be mocking her. Yes, I would be. We'd be the horrible gay men in the audience just laughing and making fun of her. <laughs> Knowing we should not be mocking this child, but we very much would be. But we have our limits. We're only human, for God's (laughs) sake. Come on. She's singing, and the kids start laughing. She literally pisses herself on stage. And the the mother starts laughing hysterically. (laughs) And then the kids notice it in the audience, and they start laughing. It's hard not to miss. She doesn't just piss herself. She's a squirter. But guys, because she she pisses and then she pauses and then she fucking rallies and she keeps going. And I, you know, honestly, kids going bitch <laughs> i would I, I you know i looked at her and i said that's a trooper like she's getting through that number i people are mocking her people are calling her debbie penis people are, people are, she's standing in a puddle of her own urine she urinators of her mother is berating her from beside the curtain and she's still getting through that solo number Deserves an ovation. Come, I come, I come from theater people. I'm a theater trained, yes. so we have that all adage like somebody in front of you drops dead on stage, you kick him aside, yep. and you keep dancing. I yep. appreciate Debbie yep. Tennis. You go, girl. Yeah, I would have ran off the stage crying. There's <laughs> <laughs> you get through it no matter what. You go, but wait, but wait. And that ain't the worst thing that's gonna happen to Debbie Tennis. Today. That ain't the worst of it. This this next part. Strong start. Me strong start. <laughs> Strong start. So the 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 pee the big puddle of pee hits the um, <laughs> microphone stand wire and causes a spark. And the little girl, the little bitch, is Guys. electrocuted for a matter of about thirty seconds. She's like, yeah. her face is like, and and her mother <laughs> is howling with laughter at the whole thing. My child is going to die. <laughs> like the, kid, the kid is obviously like, it's not like no small deal. It's not like a little like, oops, the kid is vibrating. Her pig, her pigtails are bouncing. People are. It turned her hair gray. She, she gets a, she gets a rogue streak like the X-Men. She gets like a white strip through her hair. She gets a Nancy Thompson gray streak out of this. Oh year. my God. I How did she not die? I don't know. The, the, the father comes rushing to her aid. The mother can't even move because she's laughing so hard. I'm like, what is going on here? What is going on? I don't know, because it's the title credits now. <laughs> that it's the title credits. But you know what? This scene really had nothing to do with anything except just to show us how terrible the mother was. Oh, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. This is the Me this too. Is, yeah. But does it? I mean, 
I mean, I was thinking about how it connected, but maybe we'll get there. I mean, obviously, it fucked her up and fucked me it's, up. But it's all about this movie's all about her. It's all about her relationship with her. Ultimately, it's all about her relationship with her daddy. This is the only time we get to see daddy, and you get to see what she's been through and how she got there and how what the theater means to them and things like that. Because it's what the whole movie hinges on. You really need this kid scene, and it, plus, it's fucking hilarious. It's it great. Is hilarious. Yeah. It's great. Well, and I also think that this sequence, like the, for me, after viewing the movie in its entire form. I mean, uh, there is definitely she. There's a few characters within this universe that we're going to be introduced to that are not like the rest of the characters. You know, for the most part, a lot of the things going on in this world are kind of realistic, and then you have some people who just operate completely differently. And I think the sequence that we see, this whole electrocution and the severity of it, very much plays into part the fact that she's, yeah, she's fucked up. I mean, her brain, I think, is fried. And I think she processes yeah. things very differently from the average person. So I think it's very intentional that this opening is so shocking. Yeah, yeah. No, I just meant that. I guess I kind of meant that they don't really explore it like blatantly in the film later on. It's not really never brought up again. But I understand. I do understand. Like it's it. She obviously it affected her mind. It would affect anybody's mind. I I love I love the opening credits, the title cards. I love that so much. Gorgeous opening yeah. credits. It's yes. like the it's like the cast name the the um cast names are over like different horror like classic horror film posters it's really yeah, all 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 public domain hard but it movie looks posters. beautiful yeah. it looks beautiful it's gorgeous and i know and the score is great the score is great roger's a big fan of like stylized opening credit sequence because you did the same thing with your film rebirth so when i was watching this i'm like oh we had roger is gonna love these opening credits. i well i like i said my you know my two favorite movies wizard of oz night of the living dead instantly within the, within the first Five minutes of the movie, you have a reference to both. I was like, buckle me the fuck in. I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah, great opening credits. Um, and <laughs> really sets you up for the kind of tone that we're getting into. Like, this movie is a horror movie, but it is a fun horror movie. It is a popcorn horror movie. It's got a lot of personality, just like these credits. And um, it, it really, right off the bat, you kind of know you're getting to something weird and different and unique. And it's great. And also what I love too, it also sets up the fact that this movie was made by people who love horror movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You can totally It tell. shows. Yeah. That this is this is a passion project and not just something slapped together. No, there's a lot of craftsmanship and just a lot of you can tell care put into this the construction of this film, every everything, set pieces, everything is just beautifully done. After the credit sequence, now we get introduced to Deb, who is older, and this is Natasha Leone. And she is a librarian, which I related to. This film's got a little bit for each one of us. <laughs> Perfectly crafted just for us to view it. I love this scene, too, because we also meet her friend at the library, her boss, I suppose, who's played by Mink Stoll, who was in, I think, every John Waters movie except one. And I love this whole conversation. She's playing, she's playing a normal in this, but all of her dialogue still comes out like a John Waters film. She's got a, she's got a, she's got a line in there. She's like, because she's telling Debbie, you know, you really should let the theater go. It's just you, you run these horror movies and nobody ever comes and the movies are gross. And do your father a favor. You know, you're, the father's passed away and he's left the theater to her and her mother. And she's like, listen, Deb, I understand. You know, I, I'm a woman alone. No kids. No husband. Just me and the cats. 
and I just it just segued in my head with I'm a divorced woman. Please help me from Serial Mom. So it's just, just it's got this whole movie's got a John Waters vibe. Even the names sound like a Don, John Waters movie. So yeah, Natasha Leone's character is like I'm not giving up this film, the the theater. The show must go on. And I gotta say. The show must go on, which is the moral of this movie. <laughs> she starts crying. I find it interesting that we did um, we did May last year, last week. We did May last week, and I find that this particular character kind of has a strong connection to the May character. Um, they're both, you know, kind of like lonely females who actually have trauma, traumatic pasts. And it, well, obviously, it wasn't purposely done. Right. But I, I, di- I did see connections between like May, the character of May, and then this character. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I have to say, I love Natasha Lyonne. I-, I love her to death. I do have to say that I find her performance in this film, at least the first part of the film, to be very uneven. And I don't know if it's coming from the fact that watching May last week and seeing kind of a very similar traumatized, you know, isolated character with Angela Bettis just went into that role and just inhabited it. And there was nothing, never anything felt like phony that she delivered any of her lines or anything like that. I feel like this part of the film, this opening scene with Natasha Lone is pretty actually cringeworthy the way she delivers the dialogue. However, she gets better. She gets better by the, by the end of the film, when she gets into her stride and she's taken on these different personalities, she is much better. I agree. I'm going to call you on this one. I'm going to call style on this one. Because everything involving her and everything that happens at the theater and everybody who's connected to the theater, everything there has this heightened reality to it. It Everybody's almost a caricature of a person when they're there that gets bigger and bigger as the movie goes on. So I'm going to say like every time we're with her, we're not we're working in the real world almost. It's like we're in movie world. Like this is a movie we're watching. Whereas every time we're with Thomas Decker and his friends and at the school, very grounded in reality, very, very real. So it's just like a split thing that we're having. Like the why I keep saying John Waters is that the dialogue all has this John Waters rhythm to it. And it's very deliberate. The lines are delivered in a John Waters way. Like John Waters gives line readings. So that lines come out the certain way, the way he wants them. And all of her dialogue is delivered like that. So I'm going to say it's a style choice. Don't you attack this movie. I will kill you. <laughs> yeah, but I don't necessarily like that style. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I have the same note as Troy. At first, I honestly thought I was, I'm going to be honest. Based off this first scene here, you know, modern day, I thought I was going to hate this movie. And I really did. Um, I was like, oh God, she's giving me the, the probably the worst performance I feel I've seen from Natasha Lyonne. Um, and luckily it evolves into something. Honey, she just... She's just warming up. She's just warming up. She's just warming up. She is. And and after you see it as a full... As a full entity, it makes a lot more sense. Thought out concept, yeah. But to start, ooh, it was rough. Um, But it was nice to see her. I love her. And I know this was a time period where she was kind of clinging to some of these indies and really reestablishing her career. And I was was open-minded. So I was ready to move forward. But this whole scene as it progresses, even everything with the mother... Um, big choices across the board. Again, heightened, heightened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's even reflected in the dialogue. We'll, we'll come into the scene, but like that, that the dialogue. I, I've actually found that putting adding Roger Connors, the name Roger Connors, to the beginning of any line that the mother says makes it so much better. Roger Connors, you're just a plain girl living in the land of the bland. <laughs> That's how I want to be referenced from now. Nobody on. talks like this. People don't talk like this, but it's happening at the theater. So that's what. Yeah, yeah. So she is. So she tells Evelyn, you know what? I'm 
Nobody cares. People are like, get to the part where they no, kill no, people. No, yeah. But she tells Evelyn, you know, you know what? Whatever. I don't care what you say. Um, the show's going to go on and I'm going to make my father proud. The next scene, she is at the theater and we are introduced to Mr. Twiggs. I've never seen an older man. How old is he supposed <laughs> to be? <laughs> well, he died at 90, but he, di- <laughs> he died in 2019. But yeah, they really took this already old man and they aged him beyond comprehension because he looks like a a walking cadaver (laughs) he's so old he's so frail he'll wind up being the igor of the movie sort of yes i see that but yeah he's the projectionist at the theater and he's been there for what he said he says 40 years and then we get introduced to steven who is thomas decker cute little thomas decker oh he is so what a dumpling little I love him. Little baby queen. Little baby queen. Little baby queen. He is so adorable in this. I don't even think he was out yet when he made this movie. So. No, he wasn't. He was a big, he's a big fan of this theater. He's a big fan of Deb. And you can tell there's kind of some. And horror special, movies. And old horror and movies. And horror movies. That's why he goes to the theater. Because this particular night, they're showing Blood Feast. Yay. And he is absolutely in love with horror movies. He's in love with the theater. He There's a, a relationship that he has kind of established with, with Deb. So he's going into the theater, he gets his popcorn, and Twigs, for some reason, has to go buy mouthwash? Is that what he said? I have to go get mouthwash? Yes. Oh, honey, that's code. Is it code? Did I'm missing something? That's code. That's code for booze. Okay. That's alcoholic code for booze. Okay, see, I'm I'm too young to know these references, Mm -hmm. apparently. You're welcome. I was like, I'm what close, is this old? I'm closer to Mr. Twig's age than you are, so <laughs> I will tell you that's code for booze. I was like, why is this old man leaving the theater to go get mouthwash? <laughs> mouthwash. <laughs> like five minutes before the movie starts. But, and she's like, just be back before the movie starts. He's like, I will. No, one will, apparently. And as he's walking to, I guess, the liquor store now that I know it's booze, he runs into... Evil mom. Mrs. Tennis, who has not aged a bit. She actually is younger. Well, she's not green now. How can you tell? How can you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I she's not credit she's not credited, but I swear to God that it's Devin, Devin, Roger. Do you know who I mean? Devin, welcome to my house. I never met a French fry. I didn't I never I mean so I never met a carrot I didn't like. Except this one. You know who I'm talking about? Betty Powerhouse? No, never. Gay, uh, uh, she's not gay, but she does tons of stuff in the gay community. I don't in the community, and I don't think I have her name right. I'm sorry, but I swear <laughs> to God, that's her working under a different name, which would fit because if anybody knows Peaches, it's could her. be. Please continue. The listeners are like, "That's not her name," but yeah, I, I, I don't can't know. But he, she is. runs into him, and she tells him that she's going to be selling the theater, and he like is begging her not to do, it. and she's like, "Oh, sh-. to Bed Bath and Beyond, <laughs> getting those B B and B bucks." She's so mean to him. She's so mean to him. She's like, oh, you pathetic. She's mean to everybody. That's her thing. <laughs> She's like, shut up, you old geezer or whatever. And she uh, gives him $20 because that is supposed to make up for, you know, him losing his livelihood and everything he's known. She gives him a $20 bill and she walks away. And it's funny because he's like, oh, Devin Green, Devin Green. I meant Devin Green, Devin Green, Devin Green. If that's you, let us know. I don't know. All you queens can calm down now. All right. And she's like. She walks when he's like, bitch, bitch. <laughs> it's funny seeing an old man calling this lady a bitch. I don't know. I got a kick out of it. She, she is. is he's bitch. not wrong. No, she is. Then she gets to the theater and she goes into the theater and sees Deb and says, hi, mother. Deb says, hi, mother. And she's like, don't call me that anymore. 
You were just an awful. Your father's dead. Don't call me that anymore. <laughs> she is an awful woman. Horrible woman. Horrible. Unrepentantly. I love her. She's great. And she wants Deb to sign theater, sign the papers to sign or to sign the papers to sell the theater. She's like, we're selling this. It's half mine, half yours. And Deb does not want to. And this is her whole thing about when then she just starts berating Deb and calling her like a, what you said earlier, what you called Roger. A, what, you a, have no talent and you have no looks. You're just a plain girl living in the world of the bland, Deborah. You lack any real star quality. You lack <laughs> star quality. <laughs> with, the, with the fucking jazz hands. Well, you can't say star quality in this movie with jazz hands. Every time it comes up, they give jazz hands. It's a thing. It's a running thing. As well you should. As well you should. <laughs> First, Deb says she's not going to sign the paper. And what does the mother do? The mother grabs her daughter and forces her hand against a popcorn maker and proceeds to burn her, which I didn't know was an option in a conversation like this. But, I mean, the mother technically provokes what's about to happen. She does. She does. She, oh, she does. She burns her daughter. She holds her hand against this hot popcorn machine. She's like, are you going to sign it now? <laughs> it's like sizzling. She's screaming. <laughs> and of course she says yes. And she she gets the pen from the mother. And then she's continuing to argue with the mother. And that's when the mother tells her, you have no star quality. In the meantime, we know that the security camera is filming this because it keeps flashing between like real time and then the security camera footage filming it. Once the mother, I guess, calling saying she has no star quality, like, throws her into a tizzy because she takes the pen and stabs her mother in the throat with it. That's the one thing her father always said she had. Star quality, yep. I see it in you, Deb. You've got star quality. You take that away from Deb, she's got nothing. And she stabs the fuck out of her mom with a pen. She stabs the fuck out of her mom with a pen. And there is a reference to Psycho. I love its dialogue right from Psycho where she's like, Psycho, Friday the 13th, and like two other movies. She yeah. starts spouting movie dialogue. Yeah, it's so Kill funny. Kill him, mommy! Kill him! Yeah! <laughs> and she's like, oh my god, mother, blood! Blood! And she's wiping it all over her face. She's having an orgasm while she's wiping. Blood, mother, blood! And then she's like, ha ha, the wicked witch is dead! But... Then she realizes the audience in the theater is getting restless because the movie was supposed to start the movie. Start the movie. Yeah, the movie movie was supposed to start. Start the movie. So they're on there. Start the. So she runs up to the rejection room because Twigs hasn't got back yet. And she does not know how to start the projection. Would this happen? I don't know. She doesn't know how to start the projection machine. So she just starts hitting all these. This would never happen, but welcome to the Victoria Theater where it's opera all the time. If you don't like heightened as a term, let's say everything happening at the, at the Victoria Theater is opera. It's like a telenovela, the scenarios that occur. <laughs> because the, the security camera footage apparently records and, and then is um, able to be pro- broadcast. broadcast to the theater. Because as she's hitting all of these buttons, instead of projecting Blood Feast, she projects... The murder of her mother. And the audience loves it. <laughs> the audience is going wild for it. Fucking Steven has a big old shit grin on his face. The audience is just loving it. They're clapping. And she is watching through the projection glass. And now she realizes, and she's just beaming now. She's like, oh, she's smiling. In the meantime, Mr. Twiggs has come back and found the dead body. And he went into, he goes into the theater and sees what happened. And he's like, oh, yeah, a girl. 
Yeah, he's far too quick to be okay. He is with totally okay. Opera, opera, opera. He's been planning murder in that old that green bitch for years. Oh, he's excited. He even helps her hide the body. And as he said, and it's like I said, every all these all these characters at the theater that we'll meet and that we've met are they're defined with like one property, and they usually say it out loud. And I, I, I wrote it down. I caught it this time. Uh, but, 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 but this is something I just noticed this time through my nine millionth time through the movie. He's like, just from before he leaves with, to go get mouthwash, he's like, just remember, Deborah, I'm Mr. Twig. I'm always here to help, no matter what. Yeah. And he does. He helps her hide the body. They take the body up to the attic of the theater because he thinks that it won't smell. The theater won't smell if the body's in the attic because the scent will go up instead of going down. In the meantime, he also goes and tells the audience that now the Victoria Theater is actually producing their own short horror films. In an effort to save the theater. Yeah. And the audience is just loves it. They can't wait for the next one. They cannot I've seen wait people, for I've seen, I've, I've come across people that have shown this. Too, like, I don't get how Deb changes so quick. I'm sorry, Deborah, Deborah to Deborah. How she changes so quickly, particularly in the scene. Like, if you track it at all, you can see if you, once you, once we see what we're, ta- what we're talking about, that it's all about star quality. It's all about her father. Fa- her father always said she was going to be a star. And like what Troy was saying, she sees herself on the big screen for the first time and something changes. She's not the terrified victim anymore. All of a sudden she's like, oh, look at me. I can be a star. I'm yeah. on the big screen. And then when she goes out to the lobby in that big coat to cover up a bloody dress, Thomas Decker comes out and starts giving her compliments. She's getting positive reinforcement for the first time in her life. And that's a madman is born oh, a madman. And he, he is encouraging her. He's like, you got to keep making these movies. It was so great. And he's like, you're a great actress and the film was great. Just keep doing it. Not knowing that he just encouraged her to become a, a mass murderer. <laughs> yeah. What um, are the odds? So yeah, they hide the body in the attic. And now we do get introduced to... Stephen's mother, because this does intercut between Stephen's kind of home life, school life, which I, I'm sorry, I could do without that stuff, and the actual stuff at the theater. Um, I get that, but you need the reality. You do need the reality. And I'm sorry, I got to say, since she's, since we're, we're introducing Stephen's mother, Cassandra Peterson walks away with this movie. She, I have never seen her this good, never seen her this real or so grounded. Yeah, I didn't know she could actually, I mean, I, I, mean, I shouldn't say that, but I've never, yeah, you're right, I've never seen her deliver a performance like this. When I saw this in the theaters, because I did get to see this in the theaters, I all of a sudden, about halfway through the movie, I said, oh God, oh God, I like her too much. They're going to kill this wonderful woman. And I spent the rest of the movie terrified for, for, for Cassandra Peterson. And it was a great she place plays to be. The, she plays the character very well. It's very natural, which surprised me because her character of Elvira is generally over the top and just, you know, flashy and theatrical. And this is a very grounded performance like this. She really does play almost like um, like a June Cleaver type character, just the wholesome mother who cares about her son. I mean, there is a there is a little string of her being a little bit over possessive of him. But it's justified. It's justified. Like initially when you it first meet justified. her, I'm like, oh, she's this typical horror movie mom. She's going to be a neck. You can't be staying out all night. What are you doing watching horror movies all the time? You can't be hanging around with those creepy kids. They're weird. That's what she's serving you with first. But then it, she backs it up with like, these are reasons. This is why I'm like this. This is where I'm worried about you. This is why I don't want you. I'm worried about where you're going to go to college. She's a really, really, she loves her son a lot. And it was a refreshing change to see. And I got, I agree. I loved it. What the other thing I love about this totally movie agree. is that it doesn't, it's camp. And nobody's playing camp. 
Nobody winks at the camera the whole movie except once, and it's a Cassandra Peterson scene, but it's not happening yet. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know I have a, I have a specific note about that, which I thought was kind of clever given the context of that particular scene. Yeah, I um, I feel, you know, I haven't seen her really do much of anything aside from this, the whole Elvira shtick. Um, and I honestly thought she was so likable and endearing in this role. Because uh, there was just a, a normalcy and a relatability, and she she felt like a, a human being in this film that is set in kind of a world where a lot of people are larger than life. It was shocking that she was actually probably one of the most understated characters throughout the whole thing, and she's still fucking hot. I don't care what oh, anybody she, says. Oh, she's absolutely hot. She looks amazing. Um, and the fact that she was like kind of a cool mom almost made her even hotter. Oh, absolutely, to me, absolutely. When she confronts him about that maybe being gay. Yeah, I mean she's a she's a relatable, likable uh, human being in this film. And I, and Troy, you said something. I actually do want to comment on it. Is you know you said that you could have done without like his school life, home life, but honestly, at some points I preferred it. Mm. I actually liked the. I thought it was so relevant and so uh, uh, touching on things that we as fans of horror hear a lot. You know. Yes, there's something wrong with you. You're dangerous. You like these terrible things. You must like doing these terrible things in real life. And that's not true for most of us, I should hope. No, I get that. I get that. I just thought, like, I, I should clarify the stuff that I'm thinking of that I was like, okay, is like the Lent, the cafeteria stuff with his friend. Oh. Like, I didn't, I didn't mind the home stuff between him and his mother. I really didn't mind that one classroom scene where that fucking cunt of a teacher uh. takes a dislike of him because of what he's drawing. I'm just talking about there's a couple scenes with him and that stupid fucking and Judy, who ugh, oh no, uh, with the, with a long face, <laughs> I, bargain ba- bargain basement Cameron, uh, 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 oh, Cameron, no oh, gosh, I just blanked on her name. Uh, oh God, uh, Friends, Scream. Oh yeah, Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox, bargain basement, bargain basement, Courtney Cox. I like her a lot. I've grown to like her. I didn't like her at first, but over time, I'm like she's she's a, she's a, she's a smart girl who sticks to her guns. But what I love about these scenes that are outside, particularly in the school, and I'm going to fight you on this, is that his friends. They don't have a lot of screen time. What I love about his friends, he's got these two dorky friends. One's kind of gothy. The other one's kind of, one's dorky. They don't feel like they got plucked out of central casting and get put into high school clothes. They oh, just, no, they, no. Like, you just feel like these people just walk under the set and just happen to be on camera. They feel so fucking real. Everything in this in the school stuff feels very, very real. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. Which you I don't agree. get much. And the plus size girl I do think was in Glee. Which I automatically was like, isn't she in the first season of Glee? It can happen. Um, it can happen because, yeah. I, but which I I just thought was you know as a as a homosexual resonated with me apparently. But yeah, no, I I hear you on that, and I do like that the, the these smaller characters that you get sprinkled throughout the movie kind of all come together as the movie culminates. Like there, you do see all these kids, you know, that kind of come and go, and even like kind of there's a, these two girls who are kind of like. Bullies, like you'll kind of see, they're like the popular girls, Claire, fucking Claire and her posse. They're awful. Uh, Yeah, and they all come back for a grand finale. You see everybody. So I will say that I liked how it all tied together. And since this is a this is a gay podcast, right? It is gay. We're gay. Yeah, gay podcast. Um, um, what I love is that Thomas Decker is hanging out with Judy, but they're not boyfriend girlfriend. They're not boyfriend girlfriend. No. They're not boyfriend girlfriend. There's no love interest there, and it, that's why 
Tom, uh, uh, Cassandra Peterson is curious. Like, is Judy your girlfriend? What is she? Is there anything that you want to tell me? You know, you can tell me anything. And then she's totally cool with her for something. Because hello, you're living in San Francisco for starters. But yeah, I just love that they didn't force a love story on Thomas Decker. I agree on that. There's a there they they it is a love story of a friend kind. He, he does, does say love, though. He does say that he is attracted to older women. At one point, yeah, yeah, yeah but and, and his sexuality isn't even an issue. Like it, he never answers the question, and, right. and he, he's attracted to Deb or whatever. But you know, whatever he's seventeen. But I, I just thought it was an interesting thing that they introduced and then didn't resolve, which makes me happy they didn't give him a sexuality by the end of it. Yeah, it's it, it is interesting. So back at the theater, so now after the whole encounter when we meet his mother, that cuts to uh, another theater night. And this is when we do get introduced to Peaches Christ. She has a Peaches Christ is also in the movie. Prominent, prominent presence in the film. Prominent presence in the film. <laughs> She's omnipresent throughout yeah. the film. <laughs> lurking, lurking in her, lurking inconspicuously in her gigantic wig. Because she wants to know where the girl, ladies' room is. So after they sh- shuffle her off to the ladies' room, this woman, who her name's Veronica, apparently comes to the counter and orders a small diet soda from Deb. And she is like, oh, I love your movies, Deb. I, I love them so much. Like I've, I saw your last one like three times. And for some reason, because she does it before really like, I was a little confused by this, and but I get it. I kind of get what they're going. She drugs this girl. She pours like drugs into this girl's soda. She's giving it to her. And I was like, that's a little premature. Um, but... Because she's like, uh, after she pours the stuff into her soda, she does say, oh, you're new in town, aren't you? So I'm assuming she thought that this girl was a pretty good target because she was new in town. She wouldn't have a lot of friends. There wouldn't be a lot of people looking for her. The girl also said she'd been there a few times, so I think she'd already been... Targeted. But she may, but yeah, she targeted her real quick, real quick. I think she had already been targeted. She'd been watching her for a while. But here's the thing with this movie as well, that since it was made by Peter's Christ and was really only intended for a specific audience and also was, there's a lot of in-jokes for Peaches fans. Mm, okay. This is one of them. When Veronica is at the counter, she's like, I love your movies so much. I saw whatever the name of that, uh, the, 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 whatever she called the first movie. I must have thought, I saw it three different times. What can I say? I guess I'm just a gore-gore girl. And that's when Leanne, uh, Natasha Leone's face changes. Like I said, when I went to see this thing in the theaters, there was the Peaches Christ experience beforehand, which involved Peaches Christ coming out and performing with Natasha Leone and Ming Stone. And one of the things she did was her signature song. Her signature song is, I'm a whore for the gore. I'm a gore, gore girl. <laughs> so, okay. Well, see, I didn't know that. See, you're you're bringing insight. Yeah. She, st- she stole Peaches' line. And also, also I know that she, she mentioned that she was going to have spaghetti with her mom. And I know that Peaches' Christ's yeah. favorite line of all John Waters is, I'm sorry, Don, we seldom eat any kind of noodle. So <laughs> she had to die because she kept, she kept, she was annoying. She kept coming to the movie. She, she stole Peaches' li- line and she likes pasta. Cat has to die. Has to die now. Off of their tits. Off of their titties. Yeah, because as, she, yeah, as she's walking away, she's like, oh, you had spaghetti? Did you have Alfredo sauce? Or did you have... Re-? And she's like, oh my God, I, I'm mad. You, you ate that without me. And then it cuts to basically her alone in the theater. Like, everyone's left. The movie's over. And she's been drugged. So she's passed out. She gets up to try to uh, leave the theater. And she realizes she's locked in. And as she's kind of wandering around, the curtain rises on stage. So she, of course, curious, goes up on stage and is trying to find a way out. And this is when we get 
our first kind of chase full, not full length, but our first like real deliberate short film being made because the first one was kind of an accident. This one's very deliberate. Now she has enlisted. Deborah has enlisted Twig, Mr. Twigs as her cameraman. And now they are filming their next movie and it involves Veronica and it involves Mr. Twigs dressed as the Grim Reaper who is chasing this 90 year old man is chasing this 20 year old woman around and with a video camera and with an a video camera <laughs> and an axe. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the 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 first thing you instantly think upon, like the reveal of what's going on, is how is this woman incapable of defending herself against this frail, the frailest old man you can possibly fathom, whose hands are both basically immobilized because he's trying to both <laughs> fight her with this axe and film this, and he has an amazing. Steady hand. The the footage is flawless. It's so smooth. She's had too much carbs from all that pasta that she had with her mother. She's sloop, sleepy. She's lethargic. She's not wearing the right boots for this chase sequence. <laughs> well, and she's also wearing that hot topic dr- top that just peels right off the second you touch it. Comes right off. <laughs> he pulls off of her. He pulls it right off of her. She does this. I'm sorry. This girl does not want to live because she does nothing to defend herself. <laughs> <laughs> she is so incompetent. She's <laughs> But that the thing is the thing is this is another thing that I said if this could gone if she had played this for real, this scene might have been unwatchable. <laughs> True. Because it was True. it's ri- what happens is grim and fucked up. And the fact that she's playing dopey and comic and we're laughing at her struggles makes this a lot more palatable. Yeah. He tries to get her, he swings the Because ass. what happens is fucked up that I've not seen in any movie before. <laughs> no, it's fucked up. Again, he rips her top off, so now she's running through the theater topless. Uh, and it comes off at like one one pull. The whole top just peels off of her. It's so I'm telling you, that hot top of clothing line is just garbage. You wash it once and it falls apart. You grab it too hard and then poof titties out. I think it's designed that way. In case you find yourself in a horror movie being made. She does run to a room and the door opens and she runs right in and we have Deb. Deborah, Deborah, dressed as, is it Marie Antoinette? Is she dressed as? Am, uh, She's dressed as a French peasant. A French peasant. Okay, I don't fucking know. A French peasant. This is, this. I remember sitting in the movie theater going, okay. And then she looks up and she's like, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I remember turning to my partner at the time, Brent, and went, what the fuck is going <laughs> Yeah, now she had, this is when, I think this is when Natasha Leone's, from this point forward, Natasha Leone's performance is ace. Before this, that was a little question, but now she is totally into this character. Yeah, she's wearing like this blonde curly wig and this peasant outfit and she's sewing. She's sewing like you do. She starts quoting the tale of two cities. This is the point where I was sold. This is the absolutely the point. Like, the moment I saw this setup. About 30 seconds later is when I was sold. <laughs> because they try to stick her head into the guillotine. Oh, there's a guillotine there, obviously. Because uh, it's... Like you have. Like you, you have, have everywhere. Around. <laughs> but old... And she even scolds them. She's like, it's you didn't build it right. But I'm saying that she made this 90-year-old man build a guillotine too? Not only does he oh, have to... Where did... <laughs> she gave him the book. She gave him the book, which I guess she gave him a copy of what a tale of two cities and was like, here, there must be instructions for a guillotine in here Where did they procure it? 
Where did they? <laughs> I don't understand. They oh built it. They built it. Oh they, said that they, they said you built it wrong, you idiot. Well, either way, these two are fucking bumbling. <laughs> and the fact that this girl is just sitting there screaming and crying while they argue. <laughs> she is allowing him this. Ni- Again, people, this is a 90 year old, the most frail man you've ever seen in your life. This girl is a like twenty year old buxom girl that can. Uh, Who's been drugged? Who's been drugged? Who's been drugged? She, she's a lot, but he has Come on, she's allowing him to bash her, tr- bang her head, trying to fit her head through this hole that's way too small. Yeah, <laughs> and this is when Natasha Leone's character is like Deborah's like, "You built it wrong, you idiot." And he, well, now what are we supposed to do? <laughs> why are you trying to make a ninety year old man build a guillotine? Let alone chase a girl through a Excuse theater. me, she's a star. She doesn't do grunt work. She is. Is a filmmaker, not a propman. <laughs> it's clear that Mr. Twiggs is wearing one too many hats with this endeavor because he's. Oh, is he? Because this turns out perfectly. This turns out perfectly. They put this poor girl having her head bashed against this guillotine because they made the hole too small and it can't fit. And they're like, well, what are we going to do now? And, and as, like, this, as, as this girl is laying on her back with her tits exposed. Smash cut to <laughs> Deborah looks looks at her and it's like, mm, okay. Now Smash cut to titty do. in the hole of the guillotine. <laughs> they proceed to make a tale of two severed titties. <laughs> because one is never enough. The fact that they announce it, like the one of the things that is shocking from the start. I lost it. I it's lost it. It's shocking from the start how open they are about the fact that they're killing people. Like, they are not only making these films, they're announcing them like, hear ye, hear ye. We're about to s- come see this movie <laughs> that we made. A tale of two severed titties. I'm the first to say this is not a sustainable business plan, but I'm loving, I'm loving, I'm loving it while it's here. It's only a matter of time before things become problematic well they are they are they are they also have we have to acknowledge they also have a great graphic artist who is able to make these movie posters in a matter of days because they have this beautiful poster for a tale of two severed titties that's hanging out uh, hanging out in front of the theater (laughs) you know that mr twigs is also in the back room painting those (laughs) with with the few minutes he has on his lunch break the thing that we haven't mentioned about What the signature thing about these short films that they're making is not only are they short horror films, they're actually etiquette tips. Yes. You know, theater movie theater etiquette tips. Because it's Friday night and it's the premiere of a tale of two severed titties. It was the best. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And because you used your cell phone during the film, it certainly was the worst of times. Because even in France, cell phones are rude. According to the they graphics. are rude. Well, Stephen brings some of his high school friends to this showing of this film. And they, they basically, they show this tale of two severed titties, which is a film where this we see this girl, Veronica's breasts, be stuffed into the guillotine and severed off. And they actually fall on the floor. We get to see a shot of the severed titties hit the floor and flop. And they bounce. <laughs> and they bounce. And the audience doesn't know how to react. Some of them are loving it. There's this heavy set woman, this older heavy set woman. Did you notice her? That is like, she doesn't know what to think. <laughs> she couldn't even get, she couldn't physically respond appropriately. So she just, she she's just shaking her head in disagreement. Well, it's because it's funny. It's funny, but it's also really grim because this doesn't kill the poor girl. Like Natasha Leone is delivering the whole message of the thing that I just did. The whole, it was the best because you use your phone during the film. The whole time behind, this poor girl is stumbling around the room with no 
tits, like blood splurting all against the wall, dying this horrible slow death of Chuck. And like nobody cares. Nobody's paying her. Like it's a horrible way to die. It's a horrible titless way. Her to timing die. though couldn't be better. Like Natasha Leone gives her spiel. And at the very end of it, the girl dies and like hits the wall and drags down. And it's like, it's perfectly timed. It's so comedic that the audience, of course, they love it. Well, most of them do. But not only does the audience love it, as, as somebody points out later on, did you notice that during the movie, nobody's cell phone went off? <laughs> that never happens. So these these films work. Take a note from that, Alamo Draft yeah. House. Yeah. <laughs> this whole twist with them making this a creative endeavor is exactly what I needed to get me through the rest of the film. From this this point forward, I'm fucking sold. She's Not only is she making snuff porn, basically, snuff porn, she's severing breasts. Like, it, it, you call it what you want. You could say it's art, it's snuff porn. But she's also scripting it, sold. She's costuming it, sold. Like, it goes above and beyond my expectations. And it's tips on, be, on how to be polite. All of them are. All of them. <laughs> Which I think is fantastic. Well, the next day, yeah, the next day we get a scene with Steven at school uh, with... Fucking Judy. Judy. The longest face I've ever seen on camera. And she is just complaining. She's like, oh, that film was awful. What did you drag me to? That was horrible. You're a misogynist for liking that. And I can't, but I'm like, shut the fuck up, Judy. I already hate you. Just shut oh up. Oh my God. The girl that's playing Judy is giving it her all. And I'm not saying that in a necessarily complimentary way. She's <laughs> one of those actors who has to have like a quirky little mannerism for anything, whether it be a thought or it be a line or it be a shrug or it be a wink. Like she's always got to take it like one step further because she's quirky. You know, she's like a Zoe Deschanel or whatever that girl's last name is. A Deschanel. Yeah. She's, you know, she's, she's a quirky girl. She's trying to be quirky. She's trying to be like the cool girl, but it just, she just came off as just being, I don't know. I didn't care for her. She's a little too much for my liking. I don't like women that much in general, let alone ones that try, try too hard. <laughs> Well, there go there goes half there goes half our audience, Roger. Thank you very much. I mean, I'm talking. Wow, wow, the bussy has spoken. Wow. Now we will have two people turn in to tune into each podcast. I meant for more uh, from wow. like a romantic standpoint. We're talking about her being the love interest, and I was going to say. She's not the love interest. She's the best friend. No, I was going to say, thank fucking God, because she's obnoxious. If they would have picked that broad. She's right. She's right, though. That's no, well, she's she could have right. been. Everything she says, she's right. <laughs> she looks, she literally looks like if you took, who's the girl in the movie about a boy? Oh. Who's that girl? What's that? Ch I don't know. Oh, my God. She's a. Uh, Tony Collette? No, not Tony Collette. The girl, it's about a boy, uh, Hillary. Hillary Swank. It looks like if you took Hillary Swank and you stretched her face, elongated it, like like double the length of Hillary Swank's jaw. It's a long jaw. And her facial reactions, I'm sorry, they make me uncomfortable throughout the course of the whole film. But the, yeah. that's neither here nor there. Judy's annoying. We're moving on. I, I wasn't a fan of Judy. I was not a fan of Judy. I just thought she was kind of a nag. And she she obviously knows that her friend Steven loves or is is a fan of horror films, is a fan of all this stuff. So why would she just be this like deliberate deliberate bitch and just like rag on him about this and then call him a misogynist because he likes horror movies? 
I just like Judy, shut up. Like I said, I would. But anyways, Claire now. Claire, we get Claire. And her backup dancer. And her backup dancer. And her awful choices of vocabulary. Claire's vocabulary is not like any, it's not how anyone talks. And Claire is not the most attractive thing in the world. And I'm I'm just telling that she has, uh, we'll get there. Um, she asks Stephen to take her to the movies on Friday. Apparently, Friday is just like every day in this movie. Because it seems like these movies only play on Friday, but they're always at the theater. So I'm assuming Friday is just like every day is a Friday at this, whatever this San Francisco theater is. But that's San Francisco. I'm sorry. I'm in Cleveland. We don't have things like that any day of the weekend. <laughs> only, only this could happen in a place like San Francisco. You don't have showings of a t- tale of two severed titties. Maybe, maybe we have like once every three months we have a Rocky Horror Picture Show screening somewhere. Okay, and that's getting At weird. One o'clock in the afternoon for the kids, and you, and it's you gotta wear normal daytime attire. No, and people shush you if if you yell back. At exactly. I've been so, there. I've been but there. I buy it because it's in San Francisco. That is the thing. Everything that's so weird about a lot of these people and this location and what they're doing and the reason it's successful, I buy it because of where it's set and like how smart to set this in San Francisco. It feels like San Francisco. I really like that about it. It's cool. It's a cool. But I'm just saying, like these movies apparently play on Friday, but it's like every scene is going to a movie so i'm assuming this movie takes a place over a span of like a couple months i'm assuming but it doesn't feel that way i don't know it's really odd so but he agrees to take claire for some odd reason because she's super unlikable he agrees to go to a movie with her well she's super popular and the only reason she wants to go is because deb's getting famous this movie has got yes she wants to meet deb movies have gotten the attention of the news and yeah she's 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 gonna and she knows she knows that he knows deb she wants to know deb she's she's a she's one of those social collectors. i want to know why she's so popular because like every other woman girl that i've seen at this school is way more attractive than this poor girl. uh did you she had real gems on her flip phone okay on her flip flip phone and keep that phone in mind listeners that phone comes back into play in a very cool twist and i like it claire's got money money that's all you need in san francisco you need that's money. all you need apparently have you been to san francisco like all you need to be on the a-gay list is money so i have not been to san francisco i was there I during know. covid well if you're going to san francisco be sure to wrap your titties up real tight Otherwise, some woman may come and put them in a guillotine. You're going to get sued if I sing anymore. <laughs> Not because of ASCAP or anything, just because I'm horrible. But anyway, please continue. I was there during COVID, so I didn't get like the full experience. I was there with my boyfriend. Been many, many times. I love it there. I, I love San Francisco. I think it's fa- fabulous, except for the, that it's possibly expensive. But no, but as, as the city itself, I love. I think it's, it's got a cool energy, except when it doesn't. But it's a unique it's a unique energy, and this movie does capture that. So a lot of the things that you're not getting, you're like, it's a San Francisco thing. Yeah, I'll have to catch it. But uh, some evening, I don't know if it's the same evening or some, because we don't really have a sense of time in this film. But Evelyn, Evelyn, Miss Minkstall, Evelyn shows up to theater pounding on the door. She's concerned about Deb. She leaves. She even sticks a note under the door saying how concerned she is about Deb, which is sweet. And I think that's nice to have this lady that's concerned about. And you're missing your shift. So it's not that yeah, sweet. That's right. She is like, you missed your shift. But I mean, how busy can this library be? It's, it doesn't look like it's all that happening. I don't know. There's there's nobody ever there. There's nobody ever there. One thing that library. bums me out. I'll say this. One thing, like what we're saying about these first two characters, with the first two characters that get 
I mean, basically what we're leading into this whole sequence. I, um, I, I don't love the choice of people <laughs> that she targets because they're all so nice and likable. And uh, I mean, she, I'm so like the first girl. Okay, we could say what we want. At the end of the day, the dialogue she had with Natasha Leone, she was actually very pleasant with her and a likable person. Now mm-hmm. we can say what we want, but Elaine is that her name? Elaine or is it Ethel? Something like something aged, Evelyn, elderly. It's an elderly name. It's Evelyn. Yeah. Evelyn. So Mink Stoll is also very concerned. I mean, yes, she missed two days at her shift. If somebody missed two days at their shift, I would also be suspect and that's also an answer right there two days she's missed two days of work it's only over the matter of two days i'm assuming uh and deborah's evolution is very quick she changes very quickly so it is um it's it's several times yeah it happens fast it all happens fast but yeah so i mean her motivations here are very kind and human and thoughtful and deborah is so quick to be offended by people and be wronged by people and again i blame this on her mental instability but um well this i i love this scene but in particular because what she's pissed off uh, at mink stole about is something that she totally has imagined uh-huh. it's all in her head she's like she's so loud why is she always so loud? I heard her out there banging, but she wasn't banging. She wasn't making yeah. a lot of noise. It's in your head, Deborah. But what I love is she's she's mutating as the movie goes on, and like right around here, she's like this weird kind of flaky artist before she turns into a gun mall, before she turns into a Cupid doll, before she turns into Mae West. But that's a whole other thing. But she has a line here with Mister Twig that I just love when Mister Twig delivers the note. She's like, "Mister Twig, I can't go back to that library, and I can't just work at this theater anymore. I'm not a concessionaire." I'm a, f- I'm an actress. I'm a filmmaker. Concessionaire. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she, uh, that's what we're going to, she, she definitely is, has some familiarity with like 40s movie star lingo and just the whole, uh, her, she. Well, that, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, she turns into a movie caricature mm-hmm. really quickly. And I think it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun it to watch. It is fun. They do decide that they, because they're, they're, the popularity is growing and now she's Deborah and all these fans are flocking to the Victoria Theater to see And her there's so weekend. much work to do. Like she said, she can't, I can't run the candy counter anymore. I'm a filmmaker. We need a staff. So they find a staff. They don't look in the most appropriate place because they or do they? Uh, well, or they, do they? there's an a, there's an advert there's a newspaper article about two killer twins. Uh, what are the chances that are being released that murder their whole family? And so Deborah, Vita and Vera. I love Vita and Vera. <laughs> I love Vita. Is that their Vita and Vera? They are creepy as fuck. I I mean they're pretty creepy. Like uh, ne- I, they're probably the creepiest twins next to the Shining twins. However. I question, and I get, I know, I know it's a film. I know it's exact, but I do question, would a mental hospital really just let two people show up without any proof and just be like, Hey, yeah, these are our, you know, our, our nieces. We're here to pick them up. Oh yeah. Take them with you. (laughs) Yeah. Earlier you said there is no element of camp, but I beg to differ with a few of these moments. And right here, this whole thing where they go to the <laughs> asylum and you like, and the woman is like, I want to tell you right now that they, just because we're releasing them doesn't mean that they are cured. Let us be clear. They are still potentially very dangerous. And they're like, oh no, we want them. And then the next time you see them, these, these twins could not have been designed to be 
any they're Wednesday Adams times two on crack. Foreboding. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, like, I mean, like they they have like black yes. and white, like literally, like they look grayscale in a colorful world. Yes, they do. <laughs> they, they do. look preserved <laughs> in the 1920s. Like they are both have very harsh bangs and black lips. It's a very exaggerated, but it works. It works for the whole shtick of it. What what okay, Roger, actually what I said was that the movie is camp. No one's playing camp. No one's playing. Like camp. they might yeah. look camp, but yeah, and that's and I, I have a friend, my friend Christiani, who specializes in camp. He said that's the secret to camp. You can't let your actors know, or have your actors let the camera know that they're in a comedy. Yeah, everybody's playing life and death, and it's still coming out funny, which I think is great. Please continue because we have one of the characters to add, and he's very important to me. I just find it funny, but they they allow the two twins to go home with uh, Deborah and Mister Twig. So now they have um, apparently they have their two. They have two more helpers now that are going to help them. They they do they do get another one here real quick. That I think Patrick's referring to. However, before that, we do get the scene with Stephen in class with the teacher, and they're talking about the catcher in the rye. And she sees him drawing and not paying attention, so she deliberately asks him a question about Holden Caulfield's motivation in the in the novel. And he, as he's answering, she walks over to his desk and sees that he's drawing. He's basically drawing the guillotine scene from The Tale of Two Titties. And the teacher freaks out. And she's like, you gotta see me. This teacher is a fucking bitch. Th- the whole- Did this happen to either one of you ever? I- me in yes. second grade, I had a I had a teacher in second grade. Happened to me all yeah. the time. So this was totally ringing the bell. I'm like ding, 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 mm-hmm. ding, ding. I was always in the damn principal's office for whatever book I had brought or magazine or yeah, yeah. some horror thing. I went to I went to private Catholic. Me school, too, honey. So me too, to honey. Say, God, Sister Ruth Ann uh, confiscated so much of my shit. Please continue, Roger. Uh, yeah, it just yeah, it absolutely resonated, and I think that's one of the reasons I say that like these sequences stand out to me because they are played drier. Um, it's, it's in some ways it's almost it is two. I mean, it's two separate stories that are going on, but in almost two separate worlds, you know, in in her mindset, in her mentality, and then in the real world. And what's going on in the real world? Yeah, there's the theater, and then everybody else. Yeah. What's the the dialogue in this sequence? I think is done, handled really well. I mean, the teacher's a cunt, but God, she plays it well. And um, this whole with drawn on eyebrows. Never trust anybody with drawn on eyebrows. <laughs> this whole exchange that the two of them have, and his act. I'm looking at you, Troy. <laughs> Troy's eyebrows are totally drawn on. His um, his acting is really top notch throughout this whole movie. To be honest, I think he's such a likable male lead. Oh, everybody's on their A game, and he's fag- he's wonderful in this. Very, very yeah. Charming. But but this whole moment between the two of them, I was just like, wow. Like this is touching on things. I think a lot of again. A lot of younger horror fans or people who have been invested since youth are really gonna, we're gonna feel this. And it hits, it did hit for me, this whole exchange, because it is pretty common for them to think that just because we like the genre. I mean, still to this day, I have people like, why do you watch that? Why is your podcast about Are you a serial killer? Yes, I'm a serial killer. They need to go fuck themselves. All the time. At, okay. Yeah. When I was like, uh, before, it, it, like up until really, again, up until I started the podcast, I didn't know any other gay people who liked horror movies. So I would actually hide my collection like it was porn. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Now it's all out there for everybody to say, like, look at it, look at it. <laughs> yeah, it does resonate. It does resonate. So the next scene Deborah and Mr. Twiggs are walking down the street and it's broad daylight downtown San Francisco. It looks like there's cars going by. It's busy. A, 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 a guy, 
proceeds to harass an, an elderly Asian woman and take her cane from her and beat the shit out of her with it. In the broad daylight, just beats the crap out of it with her. So he... And of course, they love it. They're like, he's perfect. <laughs> this is the second movie, Roger, we've, we've watched where an old lady gets the shit beat out of her in broad daylight with her cane. Remember Toxic Avenger? It's because we're, we're fucking sick, Troy. <laughs> it's because we're fucking sick. And maybe they're right. Maybe they're right that we watch things that are unhealthy for us. Because, yes, we do like watching elderly women get beaten with their own... Canes. But it's fake, so it's okay. <laughs> it's fake, so it's okay. Now, what's important about this for me is that this guy, Adrian, is played by Noah Segan. Noah Segan, who's in everything. He's tons of indie horror films, tons of stuff. Um, He was in uh, Starry Eyes. Mm-hmm. He was in that one where they were fucking the dead woman. Dead girl. Dead, he, girl. dead girl. Dead girl. And mm-hmm. he just had his big break in Knives Out with Jamie Lee Curtis on the ba- on, you know, and uh, Daniel Craig and all his big people. Uh, he's my future husband and he can rearrange my insides anytime that he wants, but that's not the point right now. Continue with your. As he's beating an elderly woman with a cane. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hit her again. Adrian. Yeah. And he is kind Put of. Put it in me. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he doesn't really have a lot to do in the film after this point. I mean, they do get him to be one of their workers and he is more than gung ho about knowing that they're actually killing people. And that they are going to actually film and he's going to be part of this because there is this diner scene that's really gross when uh, Steven is walking, uh, walking downtown and he looks in the diner and he sees like and he's talking on to um, Judy on the phone. He's like, oh, my God, you never guess who's in this diner. It's Deborah with this new Deborah, this new posse of people. And we have the two weird twins and we have this new Adrian guy. And there is just this prolonged scene of him shoving French fries in his mouth with these nasty teeth. I was so because he's a he's a meth head. He's a meth head. He's Gadrian the meth head. I think um, that that Adrian, that his performance out of all the villains, honestly, is probably the one that I think hits best in the sense of the kind of tone, um, the perfect balance between larger than life and realism. Uh, I think that he has the least to do actually out of all the villains. Uh, He's the last one introduced. And I mean, not to jump ahead of ourselves, but he's the first one, quote unquote, dispatch. But he does the most with his material. Uh, He's the most... um, uh, you know the least about him, but he's like the most complex. I want to know the who's and what's and why's. I mean, of course, you got these serial killer twins. They're crazy. End of story. They have nothing. Their personalities, and they hardly talk. They hardly talk though. So he does most of the talking. Right. And for because them. of that, his personality is is really, really well developed for being a character who has very little to do. I really enjoyed his performance. Um, I would have liked to have known more. Troy focused on the shoving french fries in the mouth i love everything else about this scene because it's a company meeting it's a staff meeting for a bunch of murderers to be how yeah. they're gonna collect and what i love is deborah's like giving the whole pitch for the company and there's this fu- that like they, somebody sauteing something on the grill behind her so there's this big fire on the grill Flame. and it keeps growing behind her and it keeps growing behind her as she's giving the delivery for the company i'm going this is a deal with the devil happening right here and i love it and this is also the point in the movie where it turns up until this point I'm on Deborah's side. I'm enjoying Deborah. After this, I'm like, you're fucked up and dangerous, and I'm scared of you now. Like, I, I'm, I hope you lose. Like, you, you, she changes after this. Like, she becomes cruel to and everybody. She has become 
her vo- her voice at least has become Betty Davis from Jezebel. She is now just inhabiting this. She wears that red dress to the Magnolia Ball. <laughs> she is totally in this persona that's nothing like who she was at the beginning of the film. And she even tells them, I'm in charge. I'm an artist. Well, yes. And it becomes very clear. It becomes very clear that she, um, I mean, if she wanted to be discreet about this, She's running with the wrong. She might posse. not have had her staff meeting for murderers in a diner. <laughs> right. So she doesn't give two fucks about about this. She she's delusional about what she's doing and her purpose and why she's here and why she's creating her quote unquote art. Um, and this this army, this mini army that she's created behind her. Uh, it's only like we said before. It's only a matter of time before shit hits the fan. But in her mind, she can't see it. She's not even aware of it, which really makes for this. She's above yeah. it all. She much like much like so many people in Hollywood, they think they're above it all. We're above the law. We can get away with anything. Given recent years, yeah, yeah. But then, what I love it like we cut from this to this great shot of the the newly found, newly formed group. This new, this new business stomping down the foggy street, ready on to go out in their first kill. And I'm like, oh fuck, we're gonna, we're gonna have a party. The party's about to start. And they go to the library. When you're gonna have a party, where do you go? The library, bitch. Yeah, do it, decimal motherfucker. Because Evelyn is working, and Evelyn, Evelyn is closing up the library. And she uh, shuts off all the lights, and she's like, good night, books. And then all of a sudden, you hear shh, which is kind of creepy, like. Oh, yeah. I would not want to hear that in a dark library in the middle of the night. I would not want to hear someone shh me. And there is a she turns back. She turns the lights or she she turns around and they're all standing there. And she can't recognize Deborah because Deborah has a blonde wig on now because she's some other. And the lights yeah, are and out. the lights are out there. She's all there is a kind of a cool chase scene here. I do like this scene a lot. I think it's very well done. I think it's pretty suspenseful. It's scary. It's scary. It's 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 very distressing because this woman technically has done nothing to deserve what she's about to get. Well, and one thing I, I really enjoy is for the first kill and the second is the buildup. Like uh, you you go into this knowing who the the aggressors are going to be right from this right from the start. So that suspense, like a lot of times in movies like this where I know who the killer is, there's an element of suspense that's removed. But since they kind of craft these storylines that are unfolding for them, it it adds a whole other layer to it that really actually does make it, like you said, it is actually scary. And both, um, both sequences, they give it time to kind of cat and mouse them and let it breathe before they go in for the attack. And I really like that. The, both the first kill and the second... It takes some time for the individuals to kind of fall into the trap before. Let's us savor yeah, it exactly, and I, I mean, and that's one thing I want to say is some of these kill sequences and the buildups are actually very effective. Like we've talked about the shtick and the humor and how fun the movie is, but actually, I do think that this movie shines uh, during some of the, the the executions of these sequences. They're really well done. Yeah, I mean they chase they chase her through the library and they they trap her um, in in a section of um, the the where the bookshelves where she can't get out because they're on both ends of the entrance and so she has no and then Deborah Deborah grabs her from the shelf and like pulls her by her neck and she takes scissors and it's like she's trying to fight back like this woman is is fighting back. 
Yeah, she stabs Deb. She stabs Deborah. She with stabs the her in the arm with the scissors, and then she actually like kicks a bunch of books off the bookshelf so that she could crawl through and get to the next um, aisle of books. It's pretty, like I said, it's pretty well done. And right as right as Deb grabs her and has is gonna, I think she's gonna kill her. There is the lights come on because <laughs> the janitors come to clean the library, so all of the lights come on. And I, I don't. This scene is it's really sad because Evelyn recognizes her and she's like Deborah, and it's kind of like oh, you know, this is somebody that you that that cared about you, that really truly cared Not about anymore. you. Not anymore. Deborah's gone. I'm Deborah now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry. And I'm kind of wondering. I don't know. I mean, I guess you mentioned it earlier where she's just delusional, but I'm just like, why would you go after this particular character? But I, I mean, at this point, she's lost all sense of reality, and I mean, yeah, it kind of adds to the brutality. She also got the great storyline in her head for the maiming of the shrew. She already wrote that script, and there's only one person who can star in it, and it's you, baby. It's you. You're going out there a librarian, but you're coming back a corpse. That's what's happening for you, babe. I love all these titles that she comes up, how they're just plays on, you know, famous works of literature. And what they do to make Stoll is absolutely grim. It is gross and it is grim. It cuts from that particular scene to then Stephen in his bedroom talking to, again, uh, Judy on the phone. And this is when the mom comes in. And apparently Stephen's been grounded because the teacher, the cunt teacher called to tell his mother that he was drawing these horrific I- images and that he's a gonna he's trouble. We are very concerned about your son. Fuck off. Yes, and the mother, of course, grounds him and but she comes in really to apologize and tell him that she's overreacted. And this is that whole point where she's like, because Claire calls and he's like, Oh yeah, Claire, I'll be there. Yeah, tomorrow we'll stroll on. And the mother's like, Is Claire your girlfriend? He's like, No. And this is when she does so sets the kind of insinuate are you gay he's like i'm not gay mother she's like well there's nothing wrong with that if you are so what's going on he's like i think i'm in love with an older woman and she's like how much older and this is the flash to you see his elvira poster on the wall the the awkward look that she gives like "Mm." (laughs) yeah her her giving side eye to herself on the wall there's the only wink it's the only wink to the camera in the whole film but i'll allow it because it's a great one and so he, she's like, okay. And then it cuts back to now they have Evelyn tied in a chair and she's screaming. So what does Deb do as Mr. Twiggs is filming? It's pretty disgusting looking. She sews her mouth shut with a needle. It's a great effect. It's a great effect. It looks great. <laughs> you know, I I don't agree. I, I, the whole build up to it, I loved it. But the actual penetration of the lips, I was like, oh my God, that's one of the more awkward looking effects I have seen in a long time. Now, luckily, the rest of the sequence is so well executed, I don't care. And it almost added to the hokiness of everything. The whole like larger than life, you know, they're filming a movie. But um, the lip shot, I, <laughs> they looked, they looked like they were not attached to her face, but that was just oh, me. That's you. That's you. Everyone I've shown the film. That's the that's the film. This is the point where people, if they're going to walk out, this is where they walk out. And now they have to premiere the maiming of the shrew. So apparently, it's another Friday because uh, now Stephen. Well, what else are you going to pre- premiere? Movie Troy? It's Friday. I uh, know. I don't know, but it seems like every day in this film's a Friday. Stephen is in line with Claire. And as they get up to the entrance, she has her, you know, there's, what is his name? Peter, Peter, Peter Gorge from Patrick, 
Patrick morning. Bristow from Ellen and from uh, Showgirls. Is that who it thrust is? I it, thought he looked, thrust it, thrust it, thrust it. <laughs> I thought he looked familiar. I'm like, this guy, I know. But he, he he's in this film as a reporter from some morning show. Yeah, Peter, like, Peter Gorge. Yeah, I want an interview. So he interviews Stephen. And of course, Stephen is gushing all over how great Deborah is and and how her films are great because they're so realistic. And like she's doing stuff that other filmmakers just aren't doing. Uh, and the acting, the acting is realistic and the effects are realistic and it's grim and her, she comes out and now her whole demeanor has changed. Like she is like, she is totally feels like she is really something to the point where she's, Oh, she's gloating. She's sort of even dismissive towards Steve, you know? She's dismiss. She's dismissive towards everyone. He's just a little, they're just little people now. You're all just Mm -hmm. little people now. Yeah. And as he's going on about her, she's like in the background. She's just soaking it all up. She's just shining like the sun. She's so proud of herself. She is not subtle and she is not humble. These are two things that she is not over the course of the whole movie. She spent the rest of her life up until this point being subtle and humble, Roger. Those days are done. Deborah's dead. <laughs> so as after this interview, Stephen goes in and they're at the... Um, concession stand ordering popcorn and sodas for the movie and deborah deborah standing over there and claire is like do you think she's pretty and steve is like yeah and she's like oh my god she's fugly she looks like a drag queen and this while she's bitching the two identical twins are standing in usherette costumes identical usherette costumes and it's just like it's it's definitely one of those larger than life like winks like they're they're so over the top compared to the rest of these very average everyday people but they are not pleased when they hear this first of all she has no business saying anybody's ugly oh and also she says she looks like a drag queen talking about deborah who's behind claire online there's Peaches Christ and her... Peaches Christ. Again, someone who disgraces Peaches winds up dead in a movie. Yeah, but I'm like, girl, you have no business telling anybody's ugly because you aren't the prettiest thing out there either. So, I, uh, yeah. But she's like... She, and so the twins hear this. So as they go, they go into the theater and sit down and Deborah is introducing her new film, which is the maiming of the shrew. And I want to know, these films are about 30 seconds long, right? So they're certainly making a big ordeal about, about these films. And they're like short as fuck. They're buying large popcorns, large sodas for a film. That's going to be over in 45 seconds. I don't know. But is it before a movie? Yeah. But then there's a movie afterwards. They get the movie app. It's before a movie. I don't know. Is it before? Oh, okay. I thought this whole thing was okay. I didn't see anything it, else. They always there. says like whenever they're going in, it's like it's insect week with maiming of the shroom. Oh, I didn't see that. See, I just yeah. I knew that the first one was supposed to be blood feast, right? Uh, as Deb is introducing her new film, Claire has to pee already and gets up. And in the middle of Deborah's speech, in the unforgivable, of and she gets unforgivable. Yeah, she notices, so she goes in the bathroom, and right away the twins put a uh, "do not disturb" out of order sign on the bathroom door, and she starts the film. And as the film's playing, they go into the the whole posse go into the bathroom when Claire is on the toilet peeing and talking on her jewel studded cell phone. And Deborah rips the door open and is like, 
Oh, what does she say? Because what is this one called? What is this movie supposed to be? She has like a Cockney accent. She like comes at her and she's like, you're calling me a whore. Like, <laughs> it's the Scarlet Leper. The Scarlet Leper. It's the Scarlet Leper. Yes. Because Claire is a redhead. And she stabs Claire to death on the toilet. Well, let me just say, Natasha Leone in that brunette wig, that's her best look in the whole film. I concur. I, I also love that between like giving the speech and going in and murdering, Claire, she have a full costume change and then a full costume change out of it before she came out of the bathroom. At a girl. At a girl. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. But no, they stab the hell out of Claire. They stab her in the head. And like they, they, they show her a dead body and they, they just, the, the shot is that you see the little glittering cell phone right in her pussy. I'm like, oh, girl. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. That flip up, you're not, you're not going to get, you're not going to get your refund back from Virgin Mobile from that. No, sir. No. Oh, no. No bloody, no, bloody vagina juice on it. No, that ain't going to happen. Um, Evelyn is still upstairs in the attic. No, okay, so they moved Evelyn. Evelyn's still alive, right? But she's they put her up in the attic, and she has come to, and she's like screaming her head off. And she rips her. Oh, lips she open. rips her oh. lips open. Oh. oh, yeah. She she rolls over and sees the corpse of the dead mother, and she screams and pulls out all the stitches on oh. her lips, and it's visceral. It's good. it's, it's good. visceral. She should have kept her fucking mouth shut because Mister Mister Twigs hears her and just proceeds to go right up there with a giant axe and she's like you let me out of here you old fucker Uh, and i like this bitch she fights up until the end ming stole one of the things that about ming stole and all of her john waters roles is that she always has one absolutely expletive laden rant yeah and she gets it right here you illiterate old fuck you soggy titted old fuck get a fuck away from me you stupid illiterate fuck you totally ming stole and he cuts her head off. That's he, great. He cuts her head off. And there's a, a, a shot of the stump with blood gushing out of it. I told you to shush. I told you to shush. <laughs> As there's, yeah. So people are just dropping left and right. Steve goes out to look for Claire. He runs into good old Adrian and the twins coming out of the bathroom. And the, the Adrian, the usher is like, oh, she left in a cab by herself. So I don't know what to tell you. And at the same time, as you said, Natasha uh, Deborah comes out of the bathroom. Why he didn't question why all these people were in the bathroom at one time, I don't know. But he doesn't because all he's... Girls. Because but girls. the guy was in there. And... It's, it's Gadrian. It's different. Is he gay in this? Apparently because he just... Oh, they call him Gadrian. Yes. They call he's him in, Gadrian. He's in he drag, drag at one point. I was like, is that... That's an inspired costume change, Adrian. I, I'm here for it because I did not realize that was him when I first saw him in drag. I'm like, I didn't realize until the end when he's like chasing people around with a knife. No, when they look, when, 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 when Steven is looking for, for Claire, he comes up to, to Adrian. He's like, um, how do you see my friend Claire? And he goes, Oh, you mean the girl in the sassy pink juicy? If you didn't know if he was gay, then now you know he's gay. <laughs> But the Deborah comes out and he's like, I just love what you're doing. He's still fawning all over her. And he's like, he asks for a job. And you're like, oh, fuck. And she's like, well, we don't have anything open right now. But the minute we do, you are next in line. Oh, I don't know what that meant. I don't know if that meant the. Yes. She gives him like a little was wink. Was she going to make, was she going to bring yeah. him in as a killer? Or was she thinking that he was going to be like the their next victim? I don't know. I got that too. Depends, I almost it felt depends that. what it depends what the scene calls for because it's all about the film. It's all about the film. So the next day, Stevens at lunch with his little posse, including Judy and the other girl and the other guy that he's with all the time. They have no names apparently, and the 
two girls. Jean, Jean. They, do they have names? Me, they do. It's Jean. Yeah, they sure do. It is. Were they ever said in the movie? <laughs> yes, Jean and Lolita. Jean and Lolita. 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 L- Lolita. <laughs> that that works for me. That's a name that gets you on Glee. Yeah, absolutely. I played Lolita. Not that Lolita, another Lolita. The two remaining girls of, of Claire's posse uh, show up and they're like, where's Clara? She was last seen with you Friday night. You're the last one to see her. And Steven's like, well, no, actually, the Usher's the last one to see her. And she's like, oh, yeah, right. Claire knows Usher's. And then she's like, uh, such a bitch. She's like, why do you have to be so fucking weird? I love this whole thing. Yeah, it's I catty. love this whole thing because I mean. I'm in a different it. age group than y'all. <laughs> and I can tell you, as a podcaster, dealing with guests, how many times my guests of a certain age group use the term weird? It's something It's something of the younger kids. They love the term weird. And they totally plan on this scene because those two girls, like, I don't know what's happened to Claire. She just disappeared. It's so weird. Totally weird. So weird. Weird. Like, it, it, you know, how many conversations I had to edit? Weirds out of anyway. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And this is a tell us more. Tell us I more, Troy. Because tell this is more. a random scene that I thought was kind of out of place. Maybe, maybe you guys will agree. Because the next scene is Twigs and De- Mr. Twigs. I'm just call them Twigs. And my notes say Twigs, but it's Mr. Twigs uh, with Deb in the in they're they're watching a cut of apparently Claire's death, which is going to be the Scarlet Leper, and they just. And she's like, all of a sudden, she's like, what would I ever do without my twigs? And they start making out. They start making out. She is, they're friend, they're tonguing each other. She, he's feeling her up. I'm like, what the uh, fuck is going I, on? I, yes. That's a total femme fatale 1940s move. That's what she's doing. This is how we keep all the players in play. Give them what they want. Just a little taste of what they want without giving them what they want. But obviously she doesn't have to do that with him. He is he is blindly devoted to her. I like to think that it's just another like strange subplot, side plot that just didn't get explored that much. But we're supposed to just understand that. Above everything else, they're also in love. Like, I really want that to be the case. I want that to be the case. I really like to think that they also are madly in love, and we just have to accept that for being one more absurd plot twist, and we don't need it to be addressed again. We know no, it's true. We don't need it to be addressed again, and it's just, this, was, this was the one time it was going to happen. This is the one time the love is going to reach its pinnacle, oh, except fucking man. Judy showed up for that interview. God damn it, Judy. Oh. We God forgot it, to mention. Judy. Okay, we forgot to mention. We find out Judy has got, has landed herself an interview with Deborah by calling the theater and pretending to be well, saying she's a journalist, but not really telling Deborah that she's a journalist for the local high school newspaper. So yes, Judy shows up and knocks and disrupts this apparent what was going to be a oh, lovemaking session between Deborah and a ninety year old man. Um, and he, when the don't knock you judge, happens, don't so, you judge them. Don't you judge them. Love is love. <laughs> love is love. Troy. Love is love. As the old man in the room, I say love is love. <laughs> love is love. But the knock happens and, and he's like pissed. He's like, <sighs> I'm shocked it even fucking works at that point. That poor old I'm man. Like, I was going to, that's what I was going to say. I was like, Mr. Twigs, you can't get too, too upset. It don't have to work. He's still got a tongue and he's still got a twig. Uh, but, um, <laughs> I, I do want to acknowledge that. Longface Judy, the the title of her article she's working on is 
self-hating women, which, you know what, I'm sorry, fuck that article. You are, like, the epitome of everything I don't want in a female lead. And uh, I honestly, after I heard that title, I was like, I hope she fucking dies immediately. Yeah. And horribly. But things take a turn. That's what I'm saying is this Judy character, for having a, for being such good friends with uh, Steven, she certainly isn't very supportive on par, supportive or on par with what he likes. And it's like she made a mockery of of this interview. You're right because yeah, she's like, oh, I didn't tell him that it's called uh, self hating women. And I'm wondering where is she getting the fact that Deborah hates herself because she made a film where she cuts girls' tits off, so you automatically hate. Women, but at the same time, I really like Steven's uh, comeback to her is like, hey, th- we don't have very, we don't have very many horror female directors. And to have one that's actually making a mark in our town, that's something that we should be proud yeah. of. But Judy's stupid ass still has to go to this interview and, and try to provoke Deborah by writing an article that's really about how much she is a, like you said, a self hating woman. Judy completely deserves what happens to her and honestly deserves more based off the title of that article alone. But I digress back at school before Judy acts, before we see Judy actually get be try to do the interview. There is a scene back at school where Steven is in the principal's office being grilled by the admin, that horrible teacher and Claire's parents. Oh my God. Claire's mother is going for a best supporting actress nomination with her two or three lines. One of which is, what did you do with her? <laughs> well, look, Roger, Roger, the reason that they, were, they weren't around when Claire disappeared was because they were touring in a production of Greece. He was Knicky, she was, or did I misunderstand this? Oh, they were in Greece, the country <laughs> Greece. Never mind, I misunderstood the subtext. But, they, but this teacher, God, this teacher sucks. She's just provoking him. She is just provoking. Oh, he's he. You know, he did something to her. What did you do to her? I can think of few few characters I've seen in a film that I have verbally, out loud, desired to be killed on camera uh, over the course of a film. And every time yeah. this broad sashays onto camera, I'm just like, oh lord, let her have the most excruciating death. I don't know about you, Roger. It's because I superimposed some teacher from my past. On top of her, who put me yeah. through the same bullshit. She was, she's not, she's a cunt. At the at theater now, Judy is there to interview um, Deborah, and she's in her office, and while she's waiting for Deborah, she f- actually sees, why would they have it sitting out? It's sitting out right on the desk. No, not Sorry, tr- These guys are bumbling. <laughs> but it's, They're it's not Claire's- bumbling. They don't give a fuck. They think they're above it all. That could be. It's Claire's star-studded or jewel-studded cell phone right there blood on it and everything flip phone flip phone it's the height it's a, of technology it's a nokia it's a nokia flip phone but it's yeah. and she sees it's it's covered in blood she actually takes it like you not think they're going to notice that this cell phone that was there a second ago is not there anymore she responds though like i mean judy annoys me but this whole sequence what occurs, what unfolds in her response to it, I actually very much enjoy. And in my, for me, my response, if I saw something like that, 
And I, I'd probably do the same fucking thing. I'd probably be like, I have to have proof. I got to get out and I got to tell somebody. I got the, I'm going to grab the phone. Like, you know, I, I get her rationale. And uh, she responds very much as I think a teenager would, you know? Ding, 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 ding. She's a kid. She's a kid in an impossible situation. And I also love that she stuck it in her bra because she had no boobs. I was very happy with that. All of a sudden, she had one big boob and one not big boob. And I said, you go, Judy. Get out that door right now. Once, yeah, once Deborah comes in, she's like, I, I'm not feeling well. We got to do this. I'm sick. Another, <laughs> another time. I'm sick. I got to go. And Deborah's like, I'm a very busy woman. What are you doing? You're wasting my time. And she gets up and she's like running down the stairs. And they all corner her. And once this gay Adrian comes down the stairs and she's like, don't let her leave. She has the cell phone. No, I don't. No, I don't. Well, he calls it and it rings in her titty. Which leads to an amazing audio transition of a scream going into the most cavernous echo I've ever heard. It's so over the top. It's so dramatic. Opera. Opera at the theater. Only yeah, opera at the so theater. So now we get the scene where Deborah is being interviewed by Peter on the Morning Fog show. It's called The Morning Fog. That's the name of the TV show. And she's now she's again, she's totally into this Betty Davis, Mae West character. And he's he's trying to ask her like serious questions. And she's just like slights up a cigarette, is being dismissive and just acting like she's like God's gift to filmmakers. Real art needs no introduction. Yeah, Roll the film. Now they're going to show the slasher in the rye, which is her latest film. He's like, would you like to say an introduction to this film? Would you like to? She's like. Yeah, great art speaks for itself. And before they start rolling, she's getting her makeup done, and Adrian, like, comes in in a flurry and kicks the makeup artist out and then demands to start doing it himself. And then the camera starts rolling, and they're like, you have to get off. We're on now. And he turns to the reporter, and he's like, fuck you, troll. It's it's so out of nowhere, and I I love it. I love Adrian's little sassy one-liners. They're really good. I also love here that this is where like Deb has completely gone bonkers and it's visible. Oh yeah. Because like the makeup that he's, he's given her these cupid doll lips that she has for the rest of the movie that are totally ridiculous. And she's got this enormous pink ribbon, this big breast cancer awareness ribbon, gigantic, this massive virtue signaling that she does for the rest of the movie to hide what she's doing. And this is the point where I really grasped that she seriously does give no fucks whatsoever i mean they're on the news showing a a, a a clip of a movie that features someone really being killed this person is missing of a girl who's being who's who's a missing girl who's being investigated by the police yeah. right now she and so she doesn't give any fucks and so um and that really did kind of elevate the stakes for me i was like oh she's doing something big it's all coming down to something i know it at steven's house they're watching this interview and steven's mom shuts it off she's like this is gross why do you like this stuff this is awful and he's like mom we've had this conversation why do you keep and she's like you know what and i like this part because the mother is trying to understand and trying to really bond with him she's like you know what okay fine maybe i don't understand this i'll tell you what i'm gonna do she's like friday i'm gonna come to the theater with you because maybe I'm just not – maybe I'm missing something about what why you're attracted to this sort of thing. So I'm going to go with you. And I thought, okay, mom, great. That's awesome. How many moms yeah. would do that? And he's like, no, mom, you don't have to do that. She's like, no, I, I need to – I, I want to do this. I want to be there. I want to know what this is all about. Stephen goes to school and now there are all these missing – 
This is when I said Cassandra Peterson is going yeah, to die. Well, you, yeah, I thought so it. too. I thought so too. She's going to die, and I'm not. I spent the rest of the movie on edge, going, "No, no, no! Don't kill this beautiful woman." This wonderful. Yeah, character. Stephen goes to school, and now they have missing posters of Judy all over the outside of the school. So now he's like, "Fuck, Judy's missing too." So he goes to the theater because she, he knows that Judy was going to go there to interview uh, Deb. He goes, knocks on the theater door. Twigs answers, and he's like, "I don't. She's not here. I. I don't know." And he's like, "Can I come in and wait?" And she's like, "No, Deb Deborah is being interviewed. She won't be back for a while." And in the background, you hear screaming, and this is like Stephen's first sort of indication that. Something might not be right with this theater. Although I think, I guess you guys are right though, because I, I now that you're saying that they are pretty blatant about this, what they're doing. But I thought that Stevens, Stevens, um, reaction to this uh, went from like zero to a hundred in a matter of like a couple of seconds in terms of like being confused about what was going on at the theater. Like one minute he is like Deborah's biggest fan. He loves the theater and all it really takes him is to show up at this theater to look for Judy and have twigs say, well, she's not here. And now all of a sudden he is like, Oh, Oh my God, they're doing something sinister here. And have two friends missing. Two friends disappeared from that theater. He did, Troy, Yeah. Too. Yeah. Although, I two mean, tr- he was all about like the usher, like, being the last one to see her and like maybe that was she, one that, that was, was one, one but now judy's gone but now judy's gone judy's his bestie well and i will also say that with i i, I agree with you troy i felt the same way until what unfolds here he goes to the police yeah. you know he, he goes straight to the police when he hears the screaming which i'm there's an element of realism to this whole arc which is surprising um he goes to the police the police listen to him the one cop comes with him and uh deborah handles the cop with the exact same lack of respect that they talk to the kid. You know, I mean, like, she's like, uh, they basically, they say, we want to come in and investigate. She argues it. She refuses to let them in. The cop threatens her with a search warrant. And she's like, bring on the sex warrant. Well, can we can we also stop and say that this was during she was having a soup kitchen map nay, so she could pick out homeless people to be in her next So movie. despicable. And so she, despicable. She's like on the she's like on a walkie talkie. She's like, hey, there's a pretty one pretty homeless broad in the red dress. Cast her. And if you don't know San if you don't know San Francisco, one of the big drawbacks about San Francisco is they have a massive homeless problem and they always have so this is just so gross but again hidden by virtue signaling just like that big pink breast cancer awareness oh yeah i'm a nice person we're doing the god's work here yeah okay that's what she keeps telling the cops she's like i cannot believe you're bothering me when i'm trying to feed these people that are in need why don't you go bother motherfucking Teresa? I like when she says it. And this is the point where she's taken on like that Mae West-esque <laughs> kind of personality. Like her personality, it does keep evolving from like different. And then she does ask, ask the cop, did Steven bring you here? Because Steven's there. And then she's like, this officer, this young boy is obsessed with me. He is just mad that I will not give him a job. He's a stalker. He's a stalker. And I like that the cop doesn't buy it. I like that the cop, he's still on, on Stephen's side. He's, he, he leaves with him and he's like, well, we got to come back with a search warrant. And Stephen's like, well, people could be dead by that point. Yeah, well, and at that point, Stephen's outside the theater and Deborah and her little gang of ghouls, including the twins and Adrian, come out. And she's like, oh, Stephen, you've disappointed me. And then she ad- admits everything. She basically does. Flat out. She's like, I, 
I thought you loved me. You are going to be a special guest at my first feature film Friday. Uh, and here's, and you know what? Your little girlfriend, she might not be the best actress, but God damn, does she have a great scream. One great blood curdling scream. Yes. And I'm like, oh my God, you basically are just telling him that you've, what you've done. At this point, no fucks are given. And come watch. You'll love it. It's art. And no fucks are given. And you can tell that by this whole, the last 10 minutes of the, the climax of the film, you could tell that no, they did not give a fuck. There was no fucks. They, they did not think this plan through at all. At this point, they did not care. Or did they? Because I think they're going out with a bang. Like, uh, you know. This is good. This, they're closing in on us. We're going to take out everybody. Oh, yeah. So their first feature film is called Gore and Peace. <laughs> and it's the night of the film and Steven's mother shows up uh, and he sees her in line. He's like, what are you doing here? Please go home. And she's like, I'm not going home. We're going to do this together. And as people are lined up, they are giving away. They are giving away free drinks in these little plastic cups. It's like Kool-Aid, which right away for a toast for toast, for a which toast. right away I thought, OK, Jonestown and even Peaches Crisis character says this is very Jonestown-ish. Don't drink it. Not yet. Yeah. And they're very adamant. You cannot drink this until we do the toast inside. So everyone's inside the theater with their toast. And she's Deborah's on stage introducing this new feature film. And she's like, this is we are making movie history, folks, because guess what? You all are going to be the stars of this film. And she turns the camera on them and all the whole audience is projected on screen. And she's like, we are going to do And they do, love it. And they love they it. They are going wild. And they're smiling and grinning. And Steven is like, as they prepare to do this toast, he's like, don't drink it. Do not drink this stuff. It's poison. She's going to kill you. That one little girl that's Claire's best friend stands up. She's like, shut the fuck up. If you're, if, I'm like, girl. She's, he's like, if, you're, if anyone's a murderer here, it's you. And she's like, we're going to get drunk. And she He's here shot. with his mom. <laughs> yes. Because the mother, the mother runs up to Steven. So comes down. She's like, look at his mommy showed up. And she's like, everyone's we're going to get laughing, drunk. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's ah. And she takes a shot of this. She takes she, well, many everyone shots. Starts giving, she's she taking shots from other shots. people. Everyone starts giving. Yes. Everyone starts giving them her shot or their shot. And she's just drinking it down and as they basically are Deborah's like we got to get the show on the road let's we're gonna do this and the Steven, mainstream meets the silver screen tonight children oh it's it's really funny and then Steven of course is like you idiots why and now the girl that has done three shots stands up and she has been her face is like deformed it's melting yeah it's <laughs> melting it's like melting her. Like what? Did, what did they put in those shots? Because it, uh, whatever it is, it, it's not melting the cups. It's Roger, melting the cups they put in, in movie magic. but it melts human flesh. That's what they put in. It's cyanide and movie magic. But what I love about all this, like this girl dies in front of a whole crowd of people, like and vomits on people, and they're still like, "Yay!" Because it's still they think it's part of the show. Because why wouldn't it be? Her face like pops. It's disgusting. It's it reminded like, me of it reminded me of demons when the the, the girl yes. first the first girl gets turned into a demon and there's like these pus things on her face and they explode everywhere. Very much like that. So these audience, the people that are sitting around her get covered in blood and pus, and this girl spits and they up love blood. It. They love it and they're like, oh my god, these effects are great. Some of them though are like, eh. and then 
Deborah is mad because Stephen has ruined her plan, and she autom- she's like, Stephen, this one's for you. And all of a sudden on screen, Judy is projected, and she's behind. They, we see Judy tied to a chair. And so Stephen rushes up there to get to Judy. In the meantime, there's like basically people that have drunk the drink are like sitting in their chairs, like dead and like bleeding from their eyes and mouth. And the audience gets up. Some of the people get up to leave and they realize they're they're locked in. And all of a sudden, <laughs> this is like one of the best scenes in the movie. The body, the bodies that are in the attic have like soaked their way through the ceiling. And all of a sudden we get a barrage of body parts that start falling. Raining on these people. <laughs> they are, they, they fall in that, the heavy set girl's lap. A torso falls in her lap. A hand falls, a hand falls in the Peaches Crisis popcorn bowl. Um, it's amazing. This whole sequence, it, it builds up to this kind of chaotic well, it builds up to this like really chaotic, just like out of control climax that like I did not anticipate this movie to build up to such an extreme. And this is really if this is the note you're going to go out on. Absolutely. Like if this is what you take away from this movie, what a phenomenal finale, because every time you think it's like hit its pinnacle, it hits another layer. And there's so many things that we have not even mentioned that are going on right now because it is just a barrage of things happening. You've got the different characters dressed up in different costumes and you have Judy who's about to get killed in the background. So Steven's saving her. You have Peaches and her manly looking friend. And she's like, come on, Marv, let's get out of here. Mark, tiny. <laughs> okay. Time. That's another San Francisco joke right there. Because the thing is, Pizza's Christ used to be the host of Midnight Mass. Every Saturday night at the Castro Theater, they would show a horror movie, but it would be a whole production beforehand. And Pizza's Christ would make her own short films, much like Deborah. In the short films was always featured her best friend, Martini. Martini always met a horrible end, which ended with Peaches Christ going, Martini, no, which happens in the movie. So that was for the Peaches. Oh my God, that scream, cinematic gold. Like this whole sequence just blew my fucking skirt up and I couldn't get enough of it. And even with the whole thing of the bodies dropping, I mean, that's something that's been referenced throughout the movie. We haven't even touched on this. The, the blood droplets coming from the ceiling. Several people acknowledge that the, the bodies are starting to drip through the ceiling. And then the bo- when, the, when the ceiling gives way and all these bodies start dropping on people, and it's happening throughout the whole sequence, they just keep falling. It's fucking hilarious. I couldn't stop laughing. I was cackling the whole scene. Well, Adrian's Adrian's dressed in drag, and he's trying to – he's going to kill – he comes at Peaches as Christ with an – like a hatchet and is going to chop her. And right as he's getting ready to a headless body falls on him, but it makes stole. Mink yeah, stole. <laughs> it, and it falls, but her, he gets embedded in her cab, her body cavity. It falls. Her like, neck stump. Yeah. Her neck so stump lands to... on his head. So it's like, it's like, it's, it's amazing. So his head is crushed by her, 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 the stump of her neck. So his head is in her, is in her, he's dispatched and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a scene of him stumbling around with her body on top of his head. And then he thought, it is like, oh my God, this is amazing. In the meantime... Another thing I do want to say I really love about this is that these smaller characters that we have mentioned, this is all of their moment to shine. And everybody mm-hmm. gets a moment. Peaches Christ gets a moment. Um, Lolita. Lolita <laughs> gets quite a, a couple of moments. Like, I really love how everybody kind of like came together for this big epic finale and i do have to say there is an army of people and there are only a small handful of killers so they could have easily overwhelmed these people and they eventually do they but at one point the panic is 
absurd. What I also love is outside, you've got a news reporter like, there's a there's a hostage situation here at the Victoria Theater, and the, the people are being killed, and it's terrible. I'm going, where's the fire department? You can hear people bounding on the door. Like, is anybody trying to open that door to get these people out? Nobody's trying to get, let anybody out. They're just, just reporting the news. And Peach's crisis using the, the the meat cleaver that she stole from Adrian, trying to like chop through the door. It is it's wild. Make one false move, double mint, and I will not hesitate to separate your face from any and all pretty. <laughs> double mint. I love that she called them the, double, the twins. Double mint. <laughs> but Mr. Twiggs comes and he's like the 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 the, the heavy what's her name? Lolita? Lolita. Oh yeah. She he calls her he's like, you fucking you're nothing but a high school cunt. You mentions like mentions that her vagina smells and like, yeah. oh my goodness. I, I forget exactly what he said, but it was like, oh honey, oh Mr. Twig. Mr. Twig is doubling down on poor Lolita, who has had no interaction with him at this point. No, and the, except for this. A pile of guts falls and he it distracts him. And it's this time Judy takes like a what is it, a tape recorder or something? She takes a film, a film reel, reel and bashes him in the head with it. Though I do not think contact is actually made on camera, but I'll buy it. Because he's a frail old man and he's so he frail. does drop. And that doesn't take him out anyway. No, that doesn't take him no. out anyways, because a few... No, but Lolita wants sure the does. shit out of him. A few <laughs> seconds later, when Lolita realizes she's still alive, she's like, oh, hell You've got to no. be fucking kidding me. <laughs> I love that Lolita gets a kill count in this movie. Like, I, the last thing I anticipated for this finale. You did not put a fabulous plus-size goth girl in a movie without giving her a kill, and they gave her a fabulous one. She stabs the fuck out of Mr. Twig. You don't get to call. You don't get to say the things that Mr. Twig say to her without getting your revenge, and she does. I said, add a girl. And they are able to get the keys from his dead body. So they, they unlock the door so several of them get out. But in the meantime, Deb now has Stephen's mom, Cassandra Peterson, and takes her up to the roof. Natasha Leone, keep your fucking claws off of Cassandra because she is a national fucking yeah. treasure. Well, she is up there at the edge of the roof and Stephen goes up there. Shit and pickles. I'm saying she ain't making it. She ain't making it. She ain't making it. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. You I'm don't gonna think be she's going to make yeah. it because she's like right at the edge getting ready to throw over and Stephen is like uh, trying to save the day and down, down below the teacher... Nobody likes the hero, Steven. Nobody roots for the hero. Everybody roots for the killer. And that's me. I'm the star of this. But that, but at the same time, some for some reason, this, this fucking teacher shows up. And she's down below telling everybody that'll listen. Oh, it's Steven. I told you he was. A, it's I Steven. Told it's you. totally Steven. I told this. you he was a horrible person, didn't I? Know, but- she gonna get hers. She gonna get hers. She gonna get hers. <laughs> You know what she's gonna get? She's gonna get she fucking sued is what's gonna happen for slander. Cause something's finally Steven has the goal to be like, you know what, Deborah, you are nothing but a fucking hack. You're a terrible actress. You can't act, and your father would be fucking ashamed of these shitty fucking movies you're making. That sets her off. And as as it sets her off and she starts going into hysterics, uh Steven's mother is able to get away. So now they're together and no, yeah, stabs her in the throat. Cassandra Peterson just turns around and stabs her ass in the throat. Stabs her in the throat after she after she tries to lunge at Stephen when he tells her that she has no. Oh, because he's like, you have no, you have star no quality. Star quality. And she lunges at him, and that's when Cassandra Peterson stabs her in the neck, the neck with a knife, and Stephen then pushes her off of the building. And there's a beautiful. Very well executed shot of her falling in slow motion. Yeah. The longest fall 
I think ever captured on camera, but it is what a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous, what a way to go. Of course, well, that's the way, that's the way a real star is going to go out. Yeah. And the whole thing of Natasha Leone as it's building up to this, she starts almost like yes, reverting back to her does. childlike mentality. And I mean, it is a weird performance, but God, if I could get Natasha Leone saying daddy, daddy, daddy as my ringtone, I would, because it is bonkers it's bonkers it all boils back it all boils back to daddy that's what takes her and it's also it's her first negative criticism and like any filmmaker they crumble at the first taste of bad criticism the fact that cassandra peterson gets a fucking kill is i mean they're keeping me satisfied but getting to she's basically the final girl i mean she takes out the killer i mean that's really what it boils down to which was a smart move to cast her as this you know Oh yeah, that, what a way to appease the gays with giving yeah, her the that body final hits stab. a dumpster and next to this teacher who's and splatters her with blood. It hits something, yeah, and it's a splatter. It's a spotlight, doesn't it? Isn't it a spotlight? It's a spotlight. One of the one of those one of those fancy splatters the teacher with blood. Although it should have landed on this teacher and killed her. Yeah, I was really thinking that was what was going to happen. I was like crossing my fingers. And the and fact it was, that this teacher, yeah, gets to live yeah, unsatisfying. And she. And then, yeah, the teacher got to live, and then nobody noticed they cut this scene. But like the teacher, like then peeled off Natasha Leone's eyebrows and then put them on her eyebrows. And she's <laughs> now she's gonna be a nice person forever. That's in, that, I made that up. And then there is one final, another just like kind of a final what the fuck scene with the twins come out of the theater and the the police officers have their guns pulled on them and they're like, "Drop your weapons!" And Peaches Christ says, "You guys are going to jail for the rest of your fucking lives," and they. Don't want to go back to jail. The fact that the twins outlived Natasha Leo. Yeah. One looks at one, one looks at the other. They both kind of nod. And what do they do? Dab each other multiple times, multiple times, brutally. And I'm thinking. Brutally. Brutally. They they do a double suicide. Would not a cop like intervene? Or they just let them stab each other to death. And it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal, brutal, brutal. I mean, would you want to intervene? Would you want to intervene in that? Uh, they would stab you too. And um, basically, after the twins stab each other, uh, the guy, that stupid reporter, again tries to interview Stephen and ask him if he's still a fan of uh, Deborah's films. And he's like, no, they Kill weren't him. real films. This is true. Kill that reporter. Yeah, he's annoying. Uh, and as they walk, he walks, yeah, he walks away and gets one good look, one kind of last look at her body and... Him and his mother walk away happily ever after, and the film ends. Well, as they're walking away, the body shifts because they're moving it, and her head tilts, and it looks right at him. Her head turns. Oh, uh, it's such a, a great final yeah. shot of her. Great final shot of her. But I also love that the reporter asked him, he's like, hey, would you go see a movie about Deborah Denise? And he has a whole thing like, no, no one should ever make this movie. If you make this movie, then Deborah Tinis lives forever and she wins. But of course, if only it was based off reality. And it turns out that Deborah Denise, Deborah Denise is a real person. Peaches Christ based it off a real person. Uh, yeah, Deborah, Deborah Tennis was actually a sex worker in the town where Peaches Christ grew up. Uh, Joshua Grinnell grew up. And depending on if she was working or not working, she would go back and forth between Deborah, uh, Deborah Tennis and Deborah Denise. And she, apparently Joshua was always fascinated by that. And here she is now. Oh, my God. Look at this tidbit of information. Immortalized forever on film. I'm just spreading the gospel of peaches, Christ, man. That's what I'm here for. I'm an apostle of peaches. <laughs> well, we are glad you are because I thoroughly enjoyed this film and I feel like more people need to see it. And it's a shame that it's out of print. 
um, because it is a treat. It really is. I'm, I, I'm boggled that it's not available. I really. I was am. telling, yeah, I was telling Troy beforehand because back in 2010, like I said earlier, there was no gay horror. There was, it wasn't a thing. They did the film festival circuits. They took this movie all around the country. They took this movie all around the world to huge crowds. They rate it was a hit at every film festival, and then nobody bid on it. Not one single bit. Baffling. Baffling. You know, I think this movie does really well is, you know, it walks the line between uh, like queer indie and mainstream. Um, I think that this movie is a very much a queer film, but you could show this to a straight person and they wouldn't even really notice it, you know, but, but really it wouldn't phase them. I mean, and I'm saying anybody, whether they be a, a queer supporter or otherwise, I mean, yeah, there's like a the few things that they might respond to, like the drag queen aspect and everything. But overall, like for us as queer people to see just how present the queer element really is throughout this, from the casting choices to some of the line references, to the fact that, that there are multiple queer characters, both good and bad, you know, there's a, a queer villain. Adrian is very gay, you know, and, and um, I, they made a lot of bold choices that were very ahead of their time. And because of that, this movie feels very mainstream. Not that it doesn't feel indie, but it feels very um, attainable for, I think, any fan of the genre, queer or otherwise. And I am shocked. I am shocked that this does not have a massive cult following. I mean, obviously that stems from the fact that not a lot of people can access it, but if they could, I mean, they really miss out on an opportunity because this Natasha Leone fans alone are going to yeah. eat this shit up. She's on her A plus game here. Yeah, she's not fucking. And also, it turns out what we learned when I learned at that interview that she did with at, the, at that night is that she is a lifelong horror fan and not mainstream stuff. Like her and Peaches met on some chat board on AOL back in the day with Natasha Leone under another name and talking about Doris Fishburne. Who, if you don't know, Doris Fishburne was. Worked back in the 60s and 70s. She made horror. She was like a woman making horror movies and also softcore porn movies. She was like, people said, women can't make softcore porns. And Doris Fishburne said, fuck y'all. I'm going to make whatever I want. Nothing she made is good. It's all trash. But she did it. She did it. And she did it her way and said, fuck everybody. She said, fuck Hollywood. I'm making the movies I want. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I thought that it definitely, as a horror fan, horror filmmaker, it, it hit a lot of really good points. Uh, it was just fun. It's just fun. It's a popcorn flick. You just sit back and enjoy it. It's, I mean, that's all I can say is I, I really wish more people could see this film. Well, fortunately, I also, in addition to hosting Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay, I have been also hosting the Scream Queens virtual drive-in, where usually every Sunday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, I'll host a movie. And for you, Troy, and for you, Roger, I will more than happy, be more than happy to host a night for All About Evil, just so that your listeners can catch up with this movie. And experience it. So whenever the whenever this episode comes out, the following Sunday, let me know. Oh, I'll set love up. it. Okay, please. Awesome. Yeah, we should do that because I really want people to see this. They could watch the film and yeah, take yeah. note. www.screamqueens.com/slash/drive-in. Yeah. That's what we need, whatever that's going to be. Yeah, listeners, take fucking notes. And that's Queens with a Z. Yeah, take fucking notes. When we will make sure to make. Yeah, we'll make sure that. Uh, our listeners are made aware because this is one thing like we could talk about this all we want, but to, to not be able to view the film that goes along with this is it's unfair, to be honest. I mean, at the end of the day, my gripes aside, some of the little performance aspects or some of the things that maybe didn't hit for me, my uh, my opinion 
regarding this film is overwhelmingly positive. And it builds and it builds and it builds to a surprisingly impactful and effective conclusion that I just couldn't get enough of. I mean, I could watch that finale. The last 10 minutes of this movie, I could watch it on loop over and over and over and let it lull me to sleep. It's that enjoyable. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a great choice and um, what an unexpected choice. So thank you for introducing us to this. You're very welcome. My, my pleasure. Like I said, I'm an apostle. Well, and yeah, thank you for being a guest. Also, we've enjoyed this. This was a lot of fun being able to chat about this film. My pleasure. My pleasure. So yeah, just tell tell the listeners again where they can find you at, where they can find your show. Well, I am going on hiatus for the month of August, but you've got 11 years of shows to sift through, and both of these guys have been on my show, so you can pick out those episodes. And you can find me at www.screamqueens.com, and that's Queens with a Z! There you go. One of the first, guys. One of the first. One of the first. One of the original. Probably the original. Not one of. Probably the original gay horror podcast. So... Check it out because I remember, yeah, I listened to several episodes of Screen Queens before I had connected with you on social media and whatnot, and I loved it. I remember one of the ones that stood out to me because I never thought anybody else. I know I'm going off tangent here, but we'll get back on track. One of the first, one of the first episodes of yours I listened to. It was a film that I I listened to specifically because I just came across it on when I was browsing Apple Podcasts, and I just thought nobody. I thought I was the only one that ever saw this film, and it was Hollowgate. The Halloween, which one? Hollowgate. Oh, hello. Whoa. Oh, oh, you covered yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's not the title, but yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, it's that fun. Yeah, that's such a weird movie. It's the Halloween theme where the kid that you know at the beginning he's bobbing for, for apples and his dad holds his head underwater, and then then it flash forwards to the group of kids that are what are they doing? They're delivering something on Halloween night. Oh, that's a different. And movie. they go to his that's ma- a totally different movie. But yeah, I you did it. See, you don't even remember. This is how long ago. This is how long he's been doing this, folks. Is he can't even remember one of his own. No, and episodes. also, 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 also. Usually during October, when I'm doing Halloween movies, I'm doing a fundraiser for homeless LGBT uh, um, youth. And I'm putting out a show a day, and they just blur. Like everything blurs. That both of these guys have been on during that. And yeah, I remember. Yeah, there's this. Oh, but that God. was years ago. I, that's one of the first like podcast episodes for horror podcast I ever listened to. Yeah. There so was- yeah. So he's been. So not to make him feel old. I'm just. My point is definitely one of the originals. So check it out um, because it's awesome. And we are so grateful that you came on this, this little meager one year old show. You're so, very welcome, thank little you, thank one. You. You're very welcome. Yes. And with that, call said, me again Ron, when you're legal. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Roger, real quick, before we wind up here, uh, what are we covering next week? Next week, we're going for something a pinch drier, with a pinch more of a serious tone than this week's selection. But next week, we are watching the 1973 um, horror masterpiece. I'll say a masterpiece. I'll give it it that term. Uh, We're watching Don't Look Now by Nicholas Rogue. Starring Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie and Sharon and Williams. Julie Christie. I gotta say that's sexy. That's that's sexy. I was like, yeah. Donald Sutherland, you got moves. 
But you'll talk. Yeah. You'll find out all about yeah, that, that little, next week that when I'm not here. Red raincoat. Mm. Oh God! Yeah. Why do you think I picked this one? I just just because of that little bitch. Oh, <laughs> with that with that coy face. Because of the accessories. Because of the fashion accessories. Yeah, that'll be next week, guys. Don't look now. Which is a film that um, is oh, it's like it's acknowledged as being a, a great horror film, but for some reason it just doesn't get brought up that often. And it, I, I feel it needs to be mentioned more and acknowledged more and respected more. So yeah, that's my that's my selection. Woohoo! I'm excited. I haven't seen that for years, so that'll be a good one to revisit. Yeah, so, perfect. So that's great. We 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 appreciate you listening, and again, stay tuned for information about this the the viewing of this particular film all about evil after this episode drops because it is a really a, a, a unique opportunity to see a film that you might not be able to see otherwise who knows if it'll ever be actually get a proper release so we will definitely be posting that information so that you can watch it yeah absolutely but thank yeah. you thank, thank you for you. offering that for our listeners all righty folks you're welcome we, we will call it an evening and until next week and don't look now we will Chat you later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.